0: What? <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Fell Critics Podcast. Uh, this week the role of Steve Norman is being played by James Diamond and Fell Critics Podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. With me this week I have Owen Hughes. Hello. And I've also got Carol Petz. Hello. And yeah don't worry audience we haven't kind of done away with Steve or he hasn't uh, quit due to artistic differences <laughs> or anything like that. I believe he's at his Grands Villa in Marbella or somewhere like that. He's properly doing a kind of, he is one of the in-betweeners, isn't he? Uh, And he's (laughs) off in Spain doing his own thing. And I offered to come after two weeks
2: away. I was desperate to get myself back in here. So exactly. um, you were offered the, the opportunity to either go to Steve's Nan's Villa or join us on the podcast <laughs> and you chose yeah. us. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I'm glad I did.
1: Uh, so yeah, same usual stuff we've got this week. So we've got the news, we've got the quiz, we've got what we've been watching. We have new releases, which include the, the guest and also before I go to sleep. And we've got a triple bill as well, which is the best or worst, whichever way you want to look at it. Movie recasting decisions in honour of me stepping into Steve's <laughs> shoes. Steve's very big shoes that I have to fill tonight. Um, let's get on with the quiz then. I, what, what's the score then? Cause obviously in the last two weeks, I've, I haven't been listening. So, uh, fill me in. Oh, know,
3: obviously.
1: <laughs> I think it's 1-0, isn't it? 1-0, yeah. I think it yeah. is 1-0 as well. Okay. This is good then. Um, so on to the quiz and I'm going to go in reverse order this time. Um. So it's it's recent to less than recent. <laughs> Reverse chronological okay. order. Um. And so the first film I'm going to say is Anchorman Two: The Legend Continues. Carol? Yes.
3: Is it Paul Rudd? No. Oh no! Do you know? I
1: know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know who it is. Uh, well, I know, know. you, Jason. Oh, pressures on Owen. Go yeah. on, she knows who it is, Owen. I know. Oh, Ben Stiller. It is not Ben no. Stiller. Okay, uh, going a bit further back, then, The Dark Knight Rises in twenty twelve.
2: Oh, Joseph yes. Gordon Levitt? <laughs> no.
3: Oh. oh, it's not who I thought it was. Um, uh, I haven't seen Anchorman two. Uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> I know it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> love to have seen more Baron in Dark Knight Rises while pushing <laughs> up. Okay, back to 2011, Midnight in Paris. Owen.
2: Yes. Michael Kane? Nope.
3: Mm. Oh, that's quite a good guess though, isn't it? Um I'm struggling to remember who's in Midnight in Paris. I, like, I really love that film, but all I can see is Owen Wilson, and I know he wasn't in <laughs> Dark Knight Rises. I'd <laughs> rather
1: not guess. No, I like She'd it So rather um, not guess. Okay then, 2011 as well. Contagion.
2: He was in Contagion. who was also in Dark Knight Rises. I've
1: deliberately chosen some big ensemble casts here. Just this for, is,
3: yeah, just to this is a
1: little bit yeah,
3: evil, so. frankly.
1: Um, okay, this this might make it a bit easier then. Back in twenty ten, Inception. Owen, Tom Hardy. Yes. No. <laughs>
3: Um is it is it Ken Watambi?
1: No, it is not oh. okay back in two thousand and nine public enemies
3: Pu- can't we get that other guy back? <laughs>
2: <laughs> public enemies, public enemies that it's not Leo DiCaprio. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Any guesses there?
3: No. In... I, oh my god. I okay. Can't... Back that in
2: 2006, a good year.
3: <gasps>
2: oh, no. I don't, I know who was in that, but I, shit. No, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. No, in 2004, a
1: very long engagement.
2: No, it's more Steve's territory, that one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's uh, not. It's not. Um. It's not Anne Hathaway, is it? No, it's not.
1: No. Back in 2003, Big Fish.
2: I'm guessing now it's going to be an actress, Jesus but Christ. I can't remember who the actress was who was in Big Fish, which isn't very. There's funny. literally
3: only one actress in The Dark Knight Rises, and that is. Uh, the one I've just <laughs> said. Cotillard?
1: Is that your guess, Owen? Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh <laughs> it's no. Cotillard, uh, yeah. That's it. I, I did stay away from a lot of her French films. I could have said Rust and Bone, for example, and I could have said a number of other other films. No, but yes, well done Owen, you've taken a 2-1 lead, and uh, obviously Marion Cotillard is in Two Days, One Night, which I will be reviewing later on in the podcast. Moving on to the news, and I think the big thing that we all want to talk about is the launch of the London Film Festival. Uh, a number of big films getting their premieres on these shores uh, later on in October, Uh, Looking at films like The Imitation Game, uh, which features Benedict Cumberbatch's attempt to beat The Rock's record for the most film appearances over a three-year period. Fury, uh, which finally, finally matches Brad Pitt and Shia the Beef on the same screen. It's a bit like Heat. Um, (laughs) Foxcatcher with Steve Carell doing a Robin Williams. um, I, I mean, like... Basically doing a straight creepy psycho role. Uh, Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Men, Women and Children, the new film from Jason Reitman and also Mr. Turner, which is Mike Lee directing surprise, surprise Timothy Spool, uh, in a biopic of The Great Artist. Uh, what are you thinking about those films? Have you heard anything about them? Got any, any there that you particularly interested in?
3: Yeah, pr- well, pretty much all of them actually from my point of view, <laughs> although in a spectacular, uh, act of, of self handicapping I have booked a holiday for the first week, so i'm going to be not there for for many of the films you've just mentioned oh dear. <laughs> because all the films uh seem to be playing in kind of like in a, a three day span basically so you can see it one day or you can see it the day after, and that's pretty much it um so yeah there's a lot of stuff that unfortunately i'm going to miss um but i'm really looking forward to uh mr Turner i think a lot of them to be honest are coming out not very long afterwards mm. anyway. Um I'm really looking forward to Mr Turner. Um the Tate in a in a great um kind of synergy of, of just put together a um a, an exhibition of late Turner work so that could be a good a good double bill I think. Go and watch that and then go to the Tate afterwards. Yeah, I hope um so. yeah. So yeah there was there were quite a, a, a few um really good films. Men women, women and children is one that I'm probably slightly gutted that I'm gonna have to miss. Mm. Um, because I was really looking forward to that, and the, and even though it is Adam Sandler, you know, he does do some good films sometimes, so we'll, we'll let him yeah. off. Mm-hmm. And, uh. It and it's Jason really Lightman
1: directing, it's not. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not. That, that's what I'm holding on to. It's for, not really. an untitled Adam Sandler comedy vehicle or anything
3: like that. So, <laughs> <No. yeah. laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so pretty much all of, all of them, really. Uh, looking forward to. I, have to I don't say, is think... the one
1: that I'm really, really looking forward to. I've heard really good things about it from Toronto Film Festival. Uh, yeah. there was a huge delay, wasn't there? It was meant to be out because originally people were talking about it for last year's Oscars, or oh well, the, the Oscars that have just gone. Uh, there was a bit of a quite a big delay on it, but I'm hearing really, really good things about that, and it's based on a very, very creepy true story about wrestlers, like like proper wrestlers, not the American. Wrestling. Really, really
3: <laughs> <it>. yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen Steve Carell's done a, a bit of a, played a bit of a shit in, in the way, way back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I think this is going to be on a completely, a whole new level. And, and again, from the, I've only seen a trailer, but it does look. He does look very effective. He's almost unrecognisable. He's got a prosthetic uh, he's, nose he's on, hasn't he? prosthetics as well.
1: Gone down and yes. Nicole Kidman give me an Oscar route there. Um, <laughs> stick yeah, a fake nose absolutely. on, job done. Um, I'm also really interested in uh, seeing Rosewater, which is uh, John Stewart from The Daily Show's directorial debut, about um, starring Gail Garcia-Banel as a BBC reporter held captive in Iraq for 118 days. Anything you're particularly interested in that one?
2: Yeah, well there's a couple, of, I mean obviously the first thing I did was look for any Korean films and I found a couple that sound quite good. Um, one of them that's shown is a film called A Girl at My Door um, mm. which isn't written by or directed by Lee Chang-dong but his name is still attached and that's kind of enough to get me excited about it. <laughs> is he the Korean Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> In the sense yeah. that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino presents. Presents. No, it's, he's actually a producer on the film so okay. that gives me some hope. Um, but his other films are just absolutely fantastic. And, and there's another one that was picked up on by Carol in her preview on the website for the London Film Festival. Good called plug. A Hard Day. Yeah, another good plug. I'm getting good at these. That's <laughs> kind of what I do now. I just appear on the, on the podcast and plug the website. But, um, no, yeah, A Hard Day. It's kind of like, um, I think she, I think you actually described it, Carol, as a neo noir. Um, which is, not what? my
3: words, the words of the brochure.
2: <laughs> the words from the brochure. <laughs> I think say shaking Stevens, not my words, <laughs> <laughs> the words of shaking Stevens. <laughs> That'll be my second partridgeism of today. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, but it's, it's, it sounds quite good. It got a lot of, um, like, through word of mouth, it became really popular in Korea. It went into their box office really low, and just because people were talking about it, it suddenly climbed up their chart and, yeah, so I mean, I'm really looking forward to to those two most of all. I think also, um, monsters sequels is mm. supposed to be. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm excited about it or not because I did quite enjoy Godzilla, but monsters left me wanting a bit more. So I don't know. Monsters. It's Dark, a new Godzilla?
1: director, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah,
3: it's a different director. I think the the guy oh, right. is uh, okay. Gareth. Gareth Edwards, not Gareth Evans, as no. I said the other day to someone. That's someone that's a different Welshman. I <laughs> always Edwards. get them confused. Yeah, I always <laughs> yeah. get
1: them confused.
3: Yeah. Uh Gareth Edwards is producing it, but I think by oh, okay. the sounds of it, they they are using the franchise, the monsters franchise as it is, to uh give chances to people to direct for the first time or, or to direct a oh, big right. film for the first time. So you'll get a different director each each one basically that's what it sounds like it's going to happen That's
2: quite interesting cool yeah i'm glad i mentioned what? it without knowing anything about it i feel educated you
1: lucked <laughs> <educated. You're laughs> out there uh I michael winterbottom's face of an angel which is inspired by the amanda knox case and stars daniel Bruhl and kate beckett i think that looks really interesting another one that i caught my eye was uh the mule um which is uh, an aussie comedy about a drug mule that seems to show hugo weaving channeling the look of Nick Cave as a drug cop which I'm I'm there for that already to be honest I'm a big Hugo Weaving fan so uh, there's huge huge number of films on there if you can get to London at all I'd suggest trying to get some tickets if you can get your hands on them, they seem to be a bit gold dust for the bigger films we will maybe somehow attempt to meet up for London Film Festival The, the, the plan is to possibly do a podcast from down there so um so, keep, keep your fingers crossed that we can put all that together. Uh, apart from that, that I think that's, that's probably it for that no one's died this week, so that's good. News is a bit short. There's something
3: to be glad of, though. Like, it is something really. to be, yeah. very you sound, glad. you sound slightly disappointed. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's worse when you phrase I... it
2: as, it's worse when you phrase it that people have died, but nobody worth talking about. <laughs> then that's kind of a bit more <laughs> depressing way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh. Uh,
1: Now I'm depressed. So we'll take a break there. Uh, I'm going to fill up my wine glass and drown my sorrows. Thanks for that, Owen. (laughs) And we'll be back after the break with what we've been watching. Right, so what we've been watching, the the films, or in this case, some of the television and box sets that we've been watching over the last week. Uh, And I'm going to come to you, Carol, because you've not watched any films. uh, Very unprofessional. However... Uh, I have watched
3: some new releases, thank <laughs> you know, very much. Fact, and like I
1: can talk, I used to be terrible for this. Uh, but what what have you been watching? What has stopped you uh, delving into Netflix and your DVDs on your shelf uh, in the last week or so?
3: Well, um, I, I went to... I, I'll, I'll expand on this or a little bit. I went to a wedding, I uh, uh, think now about six weeks ago, um, where the... Uh, Bride and groom, Billy and Katie. I love you guys, but you are proper geeks. And you, they signed the register to two two uh, songs. One was a Legend of Zelda theme tune, <laughs> and this <laughs> is played by string quartet. I'm not joking. Nice. And um, <laughs> and the other one was was Game of the Game of Thrones theme tune. And uh, when we went into the the wedding breakfast, all the uh, tables were named after I, as I later learned houses in oh, Game of Thrones. What
1: house were you sat on?
3: I, I think it was the Lannister. I can't oh, remember. Stark good. was yeah. the head table. I remember okay. that. I yeah. think we were Lannister because we were on the table with the ushers. But anyway, so so I got talking to several people about this, and they all said, "Oh, you haven't watched Game of Thrones? Oh, you should really watch Game of Thrones. It's really good." And someone tried to sell it to me as Lord of the Rings with nudity, with and tits. that didn't yeah. really didn't really fight <laughs> oh, my I've bait. Always to be sold honest, it as well. <laughs> <laughs> didn't really float my bait. To be honest, I'm not a massive Lord of the Rings fan but they said give it a try and I said okay so we got the first series sat down and watched it um and then we got the second series so I'm now up to the end of the second series so I please don't tell me anything that no. happens after the second the end of the second series um but yeah you know it's it's alright it's quite good it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of gore in it quite a lot more gore than I was expecting for a um mm. for a US mm. TV show I know it is HBO and I know they do they can push the envelope a bit more but uh yeah, a bit, bit of swearing and, and a bit of nudity. So yeah, I think the yeah. Lord of the Rings for Grown Ups thing isn't really justified. I think it's a bit more interesting than that, personally. Yeah. Uh, there's not we... loads
1: of weird magic and stuff like that. Is there? It's mostly
2: kind of quite medieval in its ways. Well,
3: there ways. is quite
2: a bit of magic. It is very much a fantasy yeah. story. But, there was but some but sort of demon
3: kind of... baby.
1: Yeah, there yeah. there is that, and there is a woman with some dragons. But apart from that... <laughs> And, apart from and, that. and the stuff on the north of the wall, but apart from that, but, <laughs> and the but zombies. It, but I, I'd, I'd like that. to think of it as kind of like a medieval west wing at times as well. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> political manoeuvring and stuff like that. I, I really enjoy. It. I find it kind of works best in because I've watched some series where I've just got the the box set and I've played through them. I did that early because I missed the first season or two, um, and, but the most recent season I watched it week on week on Sky Atlantic, and mm. I think I preferred. Binging on it, I think, because there are so many characters, there's so many intertwining storylines, and some people, you if you watch it at TV pace, you don't actually kind of see again for five or six weeks, or in some cases, a season or two. Um I think it works quite well as, as something that you binge on rather than watch regularly. So, have you, have you got access to all of them, or are you going to have to wait until latest that you have <laughs> that? And I think you will you will speed through them.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're going, we're going, we're, we're normally watching two episodes an evening, which is, I think, is probably my limit for that sort of stuff, because, just because of the actual time it takes, you know, once I get home and have dinner and everything. Um, But, uh, yeah, it, it's good, I am quite enjoying it. Uh, I'm not massively, massively into it, like, but like the aforementioned bride and groom, no, no. quite clearly are. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. It's, it's, it's a good entertaining a... TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: I like how all the like serious. I mean, just because you've compared it to West Wing, but all yeah. this like serious political chat that goes on. Is done with like nudity or sex yeah. in the foreground. Yeah, so I, I you believe... know, if you're not into that, you've got a little bit of something else to keep you interested.
1: I, I believe the phrase is sex position. Uh, I think James yeah, exactly. introduced sex. us to sex position, uh, yeah. but loads of important plot points just have to be got over in a brothel. Uh Yeah, yeah. it's it's not. Yeah, my uh, brother-in-law uh, at Christmas, he was down for Christmas, and I told my uh my parents-in-law you really should watch game of thrones i was wise enough to not be there when they watched it but my brother-in-law their son ended up watching it with them at christmas and that that was an uncomfortable christmas evening Uh, so yeah that that was that was fun i was glad to hear about that i'm glad i set that up okay owen what have you been watching this week then
2: um, well, I'm cheating slightly. It wasn't exactly this week that I watched it, but I'm We're still going to go talk about it cheating. anyway. We're used yeah. to you bending these rules. I bend rules all the time. I'm a maverick me. Um, <laughs> so, in the least maverick way. Possibly. You can be my wingman anytime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched a documentary called Bronies, the extremely unexpected adult fans of My Little Pony. Mm-hmm. Uh, every of you two Bronies, I'm guessing not. I, no. No, okay. Okay. I'll be, I'll be I'll
1: not in a kind of like dismissive way. I just never really thought that was a thing.
3: I have yeah. observed them in the basement of Forbidden Planet. <laughs> like wild well, heads. Like sound have like David yeah. <laughs> in their Didn't want to habitat. get too close. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
2: um, okay, I'm not a brony, and I only found out about this when it was sent to me on Twitter. Someone tweeted me that this was a thing. And I had absolutely no idea it existed. Basically, bronies are uh, people, usually men, who have formed a kind of community amongst themselves um, through their love for the cartoon My Little Pony. And that's not the old 80s cartoon. It is a new modern interpretation. Is it interpretation? Adapt- I don't know what it is. The cartoon about girls' toys, basically. Um <laughs> That's the gender
1: stereotyping,
2: Owen. Goodness me.
1: (laughs)
3: Well, did you ever have a little pony, James?
1: Uh, No, I might have had a care bear at one point. I might have had a care bear. I I might have also just squashed that memory down. (laughs) Let's not think
2: about that anymore. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, part of the film, it sets it up. uh, The documentary starts off by setting itself up as a bit of a, like, shock, a culture shock for people. That, you know, this simple. Little girls cartoon, and I think I am right in saying that it is primarily aimed at a specific gender. I think when they created it, it was, it was by a woman who wanted to kind of invoke this, this thing that she used to, she used to play with these toys when she was a kid, and she wanted other little girls to share in her kind of fantasies about these, these characters that she created. Um, so the, the, the shock comes from, wow, there, were, there were these adult men who, really love this girl's cartoon. And through the the course of the documentary, it tries to break down these stereotypes and says, well, is it actually for for girls? If you look at what's happening in it, is it just because they're girls and they live in pink houses and they're called Sparkle and Twilight and stuff like that? So you automatically impose your own, um, you know, assumptions on, on what it's supposed to be and who it's supposed to be for. And then, and then it talks about, like, the actual people who are into this cartoon. So it follows lots of different... Um, Lots of different people. You've got this, this kid in America who's bullied for liking My Little Pony and he found it, it was like him coming out to his parents that he likes this girl's cartoon and he had to keep it to himself for a long time. And it's, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of it is hyperbole and whether it's just built up because it's a, um, a documentary about it or not. I don't really, don't really know. I think some of it might be playing up to the camera. But it also has, What what, the impression that I got, I watched it with my wife and she also just had absolutely no idea about it. I put this documentary on and said, look, you've got to watch this because it just sounds absolutely bonkers. And she was she was as shocked as I was by some of these these kids. But the the automatic thing you start to think about is these kids, they're just. I mean, again, perhaps it's just my I don't it's not prejudices, but the the assumptions about the people who, who are watching it, I just thought, well, are they these, like, high-functioning autistic kids? Are they, have they got Asperger's? Is that what it is? Because the, the cartoon itself is about um, characters with very defined um, personalities. Well, not personalities. You know what I mean. Because they're horses, so they can't have a personality. But, the, you know, they've got their own characteristics, these traits that make them who they are. And it makes it easy for the these kids with Asperger's. In fact, one of the kids who's in the documentary... Um, has Asperger's and talks about it quite openly. And it's, you know, it makes him easy. It makes it easy for him to understand their reactions to things. Part of me thinks, well, that's just cartoons. It's not specific to My Little Pony. Lots of kids' cartoons are written in a very simplistic way. And kids, you know, the characters in the the cartoon learn the message. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, this thing has happened and they've learned a lesson. And it's you know, that's just kind of standard, I think, for American kids' cartoons... Well, just kids' cartoons in general. And I'm not having to go at it for all that. I think that's fine. But the documentary itself paints it... I mean, the other thing it does is tries to get these people to explain why they like My Little Pony so much. And it's really awkward. Because they're, first of all, all of them quite socially awkward themselves, anyway. And then the 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 explanations they give are really basic. Like, the characters are really good... And you think, mm-hmm. well, you've not really explained why you like it. <laughs> or what's good about them? And there's a lot of fluff like that in the documentary. And it is partly a, an advert for what's called BronyCon. Or wow. something similar. So the, a lot of it is about this BronyCon where all these kids from all over the world who share a common interest, they don't really have any friends. They're all a bit loners. And they all come together eventually for this thing. And it just unites them. And that's probably... The weakest aspect of the whole, the whole film, because it's just, well, I don't really give a a shit. What I want to watch this documentary for is the weirdos who (laughs) like this cartoon. Stop trying to make me feel sympathy for these people or feel like they're normal. I don't want, I don't want to watch a documentary for that. I want to see the crazy people. And it doesn't really show you any of those. It's a bit apologetic. Um, not apologetic, it's just a bit wishy washy, a bit nice. And that deflates the kind of expectations slightly. Um, But, you know, I think it's okay for what it is. But, uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more weirdos. I wanted to see more crazy people. Like, there's a guy who has married one of the cartoon characters. And he goes around on internet forums. In real, This is in real life. This is not just made up for the documentary. They don't talk about it on the documentary. It's like he has claimed to have married one of these cartoon characters. (laughs) And he's written an open letter online, you can Google it and you can find it, where he tries to discourage people from drawing, um without trying to turn the atmosphere too blue, kind of porn, you know, <laughs> drawing explicit images of themselves with these cartoon characters, these cartoon underage girl horses. And so it's all a bit weird, and I would have liked to have seen something that kind of dissected who these people are and why they think it's acceptable. But it's not. It's very lightweight. It's just a really nice look at the people who are actually a bit kooky, but it's only because they're you know, they don't really have many friends and they just get together for this this cartoon. So that's it really. Um but it's probably worth a watch if you don't know anything about brony culture, which I didn't. So it's kind of enlightened me a little bit. But yeah, it wasn't that fantastic.
3: So basically Hasbro's answer to the Lego movie isn't very good. <laughs>
2: um, well, it depends because Callum really enjoyed the movie of My Little Pony. Um, this a movie Again, of not it? putting any stereotypes <laughs> out there. That doesn't surprise me too much that Callum likes it because he's <laughs> talked openly about his like. You know, he likes animation. He's talked about cartoons that he enjoys yeah. as an adult, anyway. But yeah, I mean, he really, really liked the movie that was made of My Little Pony. But I've tried watching it. I don't get it at all. I can understand why kids who have this, you know, suffer from Asperger's or... I oh, don't know, it's not suffering, is it? I'm just digging holes here. Oh, my but, you know, God, though, after, after the sexism in the last podcast. I know, it's that's just that's getting is worse, it. isn't it?
3: He's an equal opportunity to hate though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. mm,
2: I'll just stop, shall I? I'll yeah, you miserable okay. yeah, Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I, okay, uh I watched uh, a few films. For once I actually did some prep, watched a few films, but uh, the one I want to talk about this week is two days, one night, or as my even my very basic level of French uh can say du jour une nuit. Uh I believe that that's right, isn't it? <laughs> no uh,
0: one's
1: it's gonna quit
3: me. But uh yeah, pretty much.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Okay, that, that'll do for me. Uh, it's the latest <laughs> film from the critically acclaimed Belgian filmmakers, the Dardenne Brothers. Uh, in fact, this is the first film they've ever made that's left the Cannes Film Festival completely empty-handed, but don't let that misguide you into thinking this isn't up to their usual standards. That said, when I say usual standards, I've only actually ever seen one of their previous films, which is The Wonderful Kid With A Bike, which I reviewed on one of our very early podcasts, actually. Mm. Really enjoyed that. But I think this is even better. It stars Marion Cotillard, uh, who is the first big actor the Dardens have ever worked with. In fact, it's the, she's the first non-Belgian actor they've worked with. And she stars as Sandra, a wife and mother who has been made redundant from her job at a solar panel factory after being off sick for a period with severe depression. Uh, and the reason she's been made redundant is that the manager forced her co-workers, uh, co-workers to either vote to keep her on and lose their bonus, or make her redundant and keep their €1,000 bonus. Sandra and one of her colleagues persuade the manager to rerun the ballot in secret, and then Sandra has a weekend, the titular two days and one night, to visit her colleagues and try and persuade them to change her uh, change their minds, because the first vote ended 14-2 against her. First things first, I just have to say, Kotiya is magnificent in this. Uh, I've long been a big fan of hers, And I have to say, I think this performance possibly surpasses that of hers in Rust and Bone, which was my favourite film and performance of 2012. And it's not just me as well that thinks this. Uh, A load of very respected critics and journalists thought she was robbed at Cannes when she didn't go home with the best actress. And um, and she will inevitably be uh, snubbed at the Oscars and BAFTAs next year because she's French in a Belgian film. Uh, I'll just put it this way. When me and Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian... Agree on something, you can pretty much guarantee it as being correct. Uh, Cotier basically carries this film. She appears in every scene, uh, has to show a massive range of emotions. She, you know, during the film, she is someone still, her character is still very much suffering, uh, the, the symptoms of extreme depression, uh, and different scales of performance. Sometimes she has to be very, very emotional. Sometimes, a completely blank canvas. It, it, really, really interesting for I, I love this performance. I drew me in. Um I've heard some people claim the film is a little bit repetitive because she basically starts her speech to each of her co-workers in a very similar way for each encounter. Some of their reactions are quite similar, but I think this in itself is quite a telling and involving technique. Um you, you each of the people she speaks to you're not just learning her story, you're learning their story. Um, with the odd exception there's no real villains in this piece Uh, even you know the 14 people who voted against her they're just most of them unfortunate victims of circumstance i I think this is a a film not just about uh a woman fighting for her job actually it's a film about solidarity in general without wishing to come across all old jerry um and jerry would love this by the way uh It, this film is just as much about capitalism's triumph over the workers as it is about this one person i think a film like this puts a, a human face to job cuts victims of globalizations uh and really it's a telling reminder that every time you hear about job cuts unemployment figures that kind of thing on the news each one of those numbers is a person with responsibilities to people and with vulnerabilities uh, this film kind of gets that across in a really really human and engaging way and um I think what I love most about the film was that the build-up itself wasn't let down by the payoff. This, It happens so rarely these days that a film ends perfectly. And I, I really, really think this film ends, ends so well. Um, its style is almost kind of Dogma 95, but without the being a pain in the ass that Lars Trier is. <laughs> it, it's very ultra-realistic. There is no soundtrack. It's just the ambient noise. It's handheld cameras um, on the main... And it's, it's a simple story told well. It's just this really, really lovely, beautifully crafted film. One small criticism, and it's not of the film actually, uh, but the BBFC certificate before the film had a trigger warning on it about one scene, and I'm not going to go into what that is. However, if you go and see this film, you, you will read it before the film even starts. Now, I understand the reason for that trigger warning to be there on the certification, uh, notice. But at the same time it flags a big plot point and for the rest of the film I was unconsciously kind of waiting for this scene to happen uh, which did lessen the impact of the scene when it did occur and that's despite the fact that I felt this scene was handled with great sensitivity and almost a terrifying banality as well. Um, So I'm not quite sure I've got an answer for that it's just kind of a warning a heads up if you do go and see this film maybe just look away at the certification but i don't know Uh, although in the screening i was in someone kind of read it out loudly yeah the way that people just read stuff off the screen loudly for no reason idiot anyway um all i was this film won't be amazing for everyone and i don't mean that in a snobby way i just know that ultra naturalist ultra naturalistic french language dramas about small town life aren't necessarily everyone's cup of tea um But if you love film in any way, please, please give this a go. It is that epitome of a simple tale told well. And actually, do you know what? The more I think about it, the more convinced I am that I have a new favourite film that I've seen this year. Absolutely adore it.
3: Wow. High praise indeed.
1: Exactly. Like, Like I say, do you know, it is... It is very much my kind of film in that sense. Yeah, I, I love Blue is the Warmest Colour. I, I love Rust and Bone. I do love these. I, I love French cinema in that sense. Um, in the same way that someone who's a horror fan who saw a horror film done really well would probably rave about it more than people who didn't quite have that love for that style and that genre. So I, I think, I, I honestly think loads of people would really like this. They wouldn't necessarily think it's the best film of the year. But because everything just fitted so well for it, I think yeah, that it's I think I need to think about it and I'd want to go and see it again, but I think something has finally toppled toppled the Lego film from my, my top <laughs> my the top place on my films of the year. So yeah, but you
3: haven't go. seen Bronies yet, so I
1: haven't seen Brad <laughs> And we have got awards season coming up and everything. There's a load more films yeah. I'm excited for. But yeah, really, really enjoyed this. If you get a chance at And if you live in one of those places like Owen, where good films generally don't get shown in the local cinemas and things like that, and we'll probably have that discussion later on, I believe it's actually on Blinkbox kind of... Um, as an early release, and I think it's also on the Curzon. Uh, so if you pay the same price as a cinema ticket, I think it's six ninety nine, for example, you can actually watch it at home if it's not playing near you. And I'd really recommend doing that. Hmm. Okay, that is what we've been watching. Coming up next, a very very quick triple bill uh, of our our top three best worst whatever. We've probably made up the rules a little bit as we go along. Movie recasting decisions. <laughs> Okay then, triple bill. So in honor of Steve's first ever missed proper podcast, uh which he never used to sharp about. And now that record's gone. Bad luck, Steve. Uh this is <laughs> the only reason I kind of lay in wait to just jump in for a moment when he might when he was at his weakest at his friends <laughs> villa. Um and so the fact that he has been replaced by me for one episode, we're very, very quickly going to choose our three movie recasts. They might be the best, they might be the worst. Uh, we're trying where we can not to include remakes or reboots. Uh, we'll we'll see what uh, what happens there. So I'll, I'll start off then. Um, my first one is going to be Billy D. Williams from Tim Burton's Batman film, who was then replaced by Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent. Now apparently Billy D. Williams took the role. Um, in the first Batman film, quite a small role in that first Batman film because he understood the character's eventual journey to becoming Two Face, and he was promised that role as part of a Burton trilogy. However, the, when the series decided to go in a less dark direction, got rid of uh, Burton, brought in Schumacher, Tommy Lee Jones was instead hired to basically produce a, a Primark Jack Nicholson uh, as, the, <laughs> as the as the as the Joker, but as Two Face, uh, and I think this is a real shame because. This was nearly 20 years before Samuel L. Jackson became a brilliant ex- example of how you can change the colour of a character from its source material and guess what, stupid, angry internet nerds? It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying everyone who's a nerd or on the internet. i the angry ones specifically who complain about stupid things like that. Um, so yeah, that's my first... I think that, that was a bad recasting. And also, speaking of racism, do you know what... <laughs> I was researching this and if you go into Google and you start typing Billy D. Williams... Do you know what the first Google autocomplete is?
3: Billy D. Williams rocks it with two
1: be, X's. It should be, not it? It should be. No, it's <laughs> Billy D. Williams. Carl Weathers. That is the first autocomplete <laughs> because people cannot tell them apart. Google is massively racist. Um, so amazing. yes, those, those of you out of compute, check that now. Uh, unless it's because Google is so kind of in tune to me, and it realises I'm racist, and it thought that was going to be my first uh, thing. Um, the second choice I've got then is uh, Clarice, the role of Clary Starling, Jodie Foster replaced by Julianne Moore. Normally I'm a bigger fan of Julianne Moore than I am of Jodie Foster. I, I generally think she chooses better and more interesting films on the whole. I, I like her films on, on the whole more, um, and I think she's a more likeable screen presence, but I do think Foster absolutely nailed the role of Chloe Starling in The Silence of the Lambs, and her chemistry in that film with Anthony Hopkins, which is another great example of recasting from, uh, Brian Cox to, uh, to Anthony Hopkins in, from Red Dragon, wasn't it? No, that wasn't the original one, was it? No, it's Manhunter. Red Dragon was the remake of Manhunter, that's it, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the book's
3: called Red Dragon Confusingly. That's
1: enough. it, yeah, and that's Rafe, is that Ray Fiennes as Hannibal Lector? Uh, no, um,
2: Matt Mickelson's the only Hannibal Lecter for me you no know. oh of course <laughs> yeah. yeah you've got
3: no Matt they've been, well. no all of them have been remade with Hopkins now as, as Hannibal Lecter
1: oh have that all oh, right okay oh yeah i got confused yeah but anyway <laughs> Claire, yeah i the, the chemistry between um Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins just isn't there in Hannibal in my opinion i think Hannibal's quite a poor film in that sense um it's quite a poor film finally, in every sense well yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it has got footage of Julian Joachim, uh, playing in a football match in the background while Rayleigh Otter is being tortured. Which I, that, that took my mind off things. Seeing Julian Joachim, former Leicester City legend, uh, playing for Aston Villa. Anyway, I digress. Um, uh, and then my final choice is Crispin Glover, replaced by archive footage of Crispin Glover and standing Jeremy Weissman wearing prosthetics as George McFly in Back to the Future 2. I could have done the whole triple bill with Back to the Future recast. Obviously, Elizabeth Shue came in during Back to the Future 2, and uh, Michael J. Fox replaced Eric Stoltz, quite famously, as Marty, uh, after filming had started. And as Carol pointed out to me, I think before this, uh, before we start this podcast, you can see bits of Eric Stoltz in the first film as well. Um, but this is the weirdest one, and, and had the biggest impact on Hollywood. Apparently, Glover refused to return for the sequel, After only being offered half of the other returning actors were, although he then later said that he disagreed with the morals the film was pushing, which I find a bit weird because it seems quite wholesome to me, you know, about, uh, you know, being the best person you can be and standing up to bullies and things like that. I don't know. But this didn't stop Robert Zemeckis and Glover appeared credited as George McFly in footage from Back to the Future. Spliced in with shots of Weissman wearing prosthetics, appearing in the background or being shot upside down to give the impression yeah. that it was Glover.
3: <laughs> and when I was a kid, I never ever noticed, never that noticed it was either. not the same
1: person. In fact, I didn't even notice it was a different actress playing Marty's girlfriend either, but that, uh, you know, I'm not cut <laughs> out to be a police officer. And what's really interesting about that one is they had to reshoot the end of um, Back to the Future, the first film, uh, shot for shot. But in the second the one, the second there's one. the um, for the beginning of two. And there's yeah. the pause when Marty asks him if he's OK in the future. And in the second one, um, Christopher Lloyd puts in a pause before saying that he's OK, which wasn't there in the first one. which kind of changes when you know the story, changes that whole dynamic, which mm. I find quite interesting. But Glover sued the studio. He won. And there is now an agreement with the Screen Actors Guild specifically banning shit like this happening basically so no one can get away
2: with that anymore well that's mine i'm going to go to you owen (laughs) okay i don't know how to follow that because that was quite interesting um i suppose okay the first one well i think um the django unchained recast is quite famous isn't it you know how django was meant for will smith and um he turned it down and ended up with jamie fox i think people know that one already um but there's a couple of other tarantino recasts that i don't think are quite as well known um, although I'm probably wrong, I think we may have talked about one or two of them on, on the podcast previously anyway. But um in Inglorious Bastards, a bit of trivia I learnt today. Um the Bear Jew, the character the Bear Jew was apparently intended to be played by Adam Sandler. I didn't wow. know that. <laughs> yeah. Certainly changes the, the character, doesn't it? Um before Eli Roth got the role instead. Um that actually sounds like a, an Adam Sandler
1: film that um awesome-o. Uh, the bear Jew (laughs) when he's coming up with the Adam Sandler films Adam Sandler is a bear
2: and a Jew (laughs) maybe that's where it came from who (laughs) knows but (laughs) um, yeah I know I can't imagine it really but um, I suppose the most or the more significant recast from *Inglorious Bastards my official first choice first choice isn't Adam Sandler um being replaced by Eli Roth. My first choice, in is the role of the, uh, nasty Nazi. Um, I'm coining that phrase. Colonel Hans Lander. Who is played to an Academy Award-winning standard by Christoph Waltz. Um although it was a character, I mean, it's a character Quinton Tarantino has got on record saying it's the greatest character he's ever created. But apparently, it was a, a, another one that was written for a specific actor, and it was meant to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And it was kind of a last minute change of heart that Tarantino had, where he thought, Oh, actually I want a German actor to play this character instead. Um and then he ended up picking an Austrian actor, but there you go. All the same um, all the... Yeah, <laughs> it's European, that's sort all of it, that's fine. Um you know, I'm I'm sure DiCaprio would have been great though, as he's in most Ooh. films. I know he did show in Django that, that he can play the kind of despicable bastard character yeah. really well. Um but it's hard to imagine anybody else I know. playing. And and, and look no, at
1: Christoph Waltz's career as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 So I know he was respected now. kind of in, in German television uh, and the the German film industry and yeah, that kind of thing. But um yeah, you can't imagine just that he was cat- broken through cat- in that way without that role. That's yeah, right.
3: now he's been, been in Muppets cat- Most Wanted and everything.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Christoph Voltz is performing a once <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was my first choice My second choice um, Not so much a casting, what uh, Well, isn't a recast, uh, recast of a character uh, More of a forced recast of a director uh, Also happens to be one of the absolute worst films in existence um, So I'm talking about a change of director in the Japanese sequel Battle Royale 2 Requiem um, The original director This is going to sound really harsh The original director, Kinji Fukusaki Or Fukusaku, sorry Is... Um, who directed the first film first Battle royale he died uh suddenly oh. well of prostate cancer uh after shooting just one scene um mm-hmm. of battle royale 2. That. no so who who would be the ideal replacement at sh- such a short notice uh, to take over t- uh takeshi katano because he was in the first film, and that that would have been awesome that would have been that would I, no I don't say that because that's made me feel really bad <laughs> now because this he didn't take over it was in fact his Son, um, okay. Kenta Fukusaku, who was also the screenwriter. Okay. Um, so you know, kind of. Yeah, well, yeah. he obviously must know his what his dad's vision was. He must. He must know what the films are about. He wrote the screenplays. Um, but it, in fact, Battle Royale Two is one of the most incompetent pieces of shit I've ever had the misfortune of watching. <laughs> So, I've always I'll stayed give a away break.
1: from it. I've always stayed away from it because no, yeah, I've too. never heard a good word about it. And I love the first. Nothing film. good about yeah.
2: it. Yeah, the first is brilliant. The first really is brilliant, but the, the sequel. My god. I mean, I can't emphasize how bad it uh, bad it is, really. It is just terrible. There's, it's utterly ridiculous. You know, it's got these really, like, immature philosophical debates on war that are in the film, with the kids in, the, in it. And you just like, they're talking utter bollocks. It doesn't even make sense. It's mind-numbingly tedious dialogue that goes in there. And it's just so boring. Um, at one point, you've got the big, bad boss who's there, and he says something like, um, you know, their deaths are not entertaining enough. And I couldn't help agree, because it's just, it's really boring. There's not <laughs> enough death in it, it's terrible. And, you know... It's like an even more boring version of Hunger Games, but with even worse politics. You know, (laughs) just absolutely watered down bollocks. Um, You know, I don't think Kento Fukazawa even knew what the point of the film he was making was supposed to be. It's really muddled, and it's odd. He wrote the first film. It can't all have been his dad's idea. I'm starting to think it was nepotism that got him involved in this in the first place. Uh, Bring your kid
1: to work. uh, Bring your kid to work day. Yes, (laughs) Yeah
2: <laughs> it must have been. Yeah, put him. He's not even he got a job yet. He's just come out of school to put his name on the credits, and then, oops, he's popped his clogs. So we'll give the job to his son. And it's just, didn't he also? No,
3: sorry, isn't there a battle royale uh, book though?
2: They're based on books. Are um, they both I'm based on sure. books,
3: or just the first yeah.
2: one? No, oh, I think okay. they're both based on. Like, I think Battle Royale was a, like a manga series. Yeah, and then this adapts part of those stories, or I don't know how faithfully it's actually meant to adapt those stories Um, I thought
3: maybe that's where he got all the good ideas from
2: Possibly, yeah, maybe I haven't read them, but um, if they're as bad as Battle Royale 2 the film then I'm not going anywhere near them but there we go, Uh, anyway so my final (laughs) choice then um, I think we can all agree was just a stroke of genius to to cast it, was recasting Hulk in Avengers Assemble and there's nothing wrong with Ed Norton as Bruce Banner in the previous movie in The Incredible Hulk Um, I mean the film's not without its faults Mm. but Ed Norton wasn't one of the worst things about it he was was one of the best things about it exactly Um, but putting Mark Ruffalo in the role I mean it it is a stroke of genius he completely kind of transformed the character Um, suddenly you could imagine the banter between Bruce Banner and the rest of the the Avengers mm-hmm. whereas if you're still trying to pick him out as the the character from the original Hulk film or the Incredible Hulk film it d- just didn't w- really work so I think Mark Ruffalo brilliant piece of casting yeah um, one of those recasting well. decisions that is just it was worth worth making and I know there were you know arguments with Ed Norton about his role and how much money he was supposed to be getting and all kinds of problems he caused on set and all that kind of bollocks. That I, you, you know, you never know how much of that is true and how much of it is no. made up, anyway. Um, yeah, but yeah, Marvel are
1: notoriously but... tight with their salaries, aren't they? Until they absolutely yes. have to pay out, kind of Robert Downey yeah. Junior. style. <laughs> so, um... Exactly. Well, that, I think that was just negotiated because yeah,
3: he was the paid
1: fact, less was than, the first uh, one. yeah, that's it. Mm. Okay, no, thank you, Anne. Okay, Carol, what are your three then?
3: Well. James, I know how you were a bit upset that there was no death in the news this week. So yeah, I was massive. Bring... Yet, so... <laughs> yeah, massive fan of death. It, so So yeah. uh, I've decided to bring bring the death to the triple bill this week, oh, and uh, I, I hope I hope that's going to make up for it somehow for you. And I've decided to do um, uh, roles that had to be recast because of untimely deaths. So. We'll start off with not not my favourite, but something that I, apparently not a lot of people know. And in fact, I wasn't very aware of this until quite recently. Was that um, Shrek was originally voiced by Chris Farley, uh the ro- rotund, fat, funny man who, uh, who died you can't go rotund and, and then man. fat. I, d- I did <laughs> <mean rotund> <laughs> <funny man. laughs> that too. I, I was I was trying to get to to the word diplomatic. funny. And it didn't quite get there. Anyway, the Rotund Funny Man. We'll fix it in the mix. Um yeah. <laughs> And he had, who um, died, I, I can't remember when he died. I think it was 1999, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Um, Certainly Seems around right. that time. Uh But he'd actually, he was meant to be Shrek, and he'd actually recorded 80 to 90% of his uh, lines before he died, but obviously didn't quite get there, which is, I think, a situation that, the producer of one of Robin Williams' last films are, is in a, at the moment. I think mm. he'd done a, a similar amount. I think he's playing a talking dog, uh, oh. and and he'd done a similar amount of lines for for that. But yeah, and then obviously the the role had to be recast. Um, Chris Farley wasn't doing a Scottish accent for Shrek, so we might have oh. spared Mike Myers' terrible accent. <laughs> He here. loves that Scottish accent. Oh, I'm yeah. he loves,
1: In um, So I Married an Axe Murderer, he plays like his Scottish family in that or something oh, as well, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, it's like one of those things that no one will say no to him. And I forget Mike, that's not good.
3: <laughs> that's and he's we don't see him in, in of the Austin Powers films yeah. as well, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Mike. That's probably why we don't see him in a lot of stuff anymore, yeah. to be honest. Um, so the second one uh, that I'm going for, which personally i don't think it was for the better but hey ho uh was uh dumbledore in the harry potter series obviously the first three he's played by richard harris and then richard harris being quite old and, and having had a hell of a life frankly
0: yeah. uh yeah.
3: died and uh yeah you know, how how can it be how can it be that you know being a hellraiser you know you've got richard harris he lived until he was in his 70s Peter O'Toole was quite old as well you know i, I yeah. think i secretly think it's quite good for you but anyway i, I think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i digress uh so in the five films after that he was replaced by michael gambon which i personally didn't think worked too well I'd, i thought that richard harris was a much better dumbledore than, than michael gambon it's that bit in the fourth film where he starts shaking harry by the shoulders and you're like no that's that that's a bit weird sorry Stop that, Dumbledore! Please, and uh, it's just—it was very weird. Um, but the I'm last not, I'm, one, I'm i am think...
1: a big Michael Gambon fan, but I've—I've I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, so I, I've yeah, that—that's completely passed me by. But but yeah. but it's at the same top top time, what? I don't know which ones. No one. Oh, sorry, currently. On. Yeah, it, it's Richard <laughs> Harris, and you can't. Yeah, it's difficult recasting Richard Harris. Full stop, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's just yeah. It was obviously quite unfortunate, but he is such a massive part; you couldn't mm. just write him out. Yeah. Um. So you can totally understand why they did it, but he just doesn't. He just doesn't seem to fit the Dumbledore of the books for me. Um. Mm. I, I, a lot of people love him, obviously, and and I think he kind of grew into it. But um. Yeah, definitely in the in the first film he did it. There were a couple of jarring moments, um, where you think that Richard Harris wouldn't have played it that way, mm. but. There we go. Um, and the last one, uh, is one that I did actually, I do actually think probably worked for the better. Um, John Belushi, as we all know, was, um, a, like a comedy sidekick of Dan Aykroyd and made the, Blue, the Blues Brothers together and that's a fantastic film. And then unfortunately he, he is probably in like the anti Richard Harrison that he is a Pretty bad advert for living, living a fast life, frankly. Cause yeah, <laughs> I you know don't what? think Booze he's
1: is fine. It's when you start putting- <laughs> It's when you start putting-, stuff. Put, yeah. putting <laughs>
3: everything else in there as well. That's when it starts to go horribly wrong. So he passed away, I think, 1982. And, um, he was meant to be playing, uh, in a, a role in the film that Dan Ackwood was writing at that point called Ghostbusters. He was meant to be playing Peter Venkman. And obviously then he died. And they had to get Bill Murray in instead. Uh, and John Belushi became, uh, what is now known as Slimer, funnily enough. That's a fun fact for you there. That's, that's why he eats so much food. He's based on John Belushi. So, um, yeah, I think that one works quite well, personally. I can't really see John Belushi in that. I, I, I guess I can, but. Well, I, I can't I see anyone
1: that... but Bill Murray doing it. That's no, the whole thing, isn't possible. it? It's one of those where he just made that his own. Yeah,
3: yeah absolutely. But yeah, he um they, they wrote John Belushi into the into the script instead as a ghost who constantly eats. Oh, oh that's, that's so that was nice. nice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Owen, oh, do we have any from uh Twitter? And has anyone got Steves? I can't remember what Steves were now. I'm gonna have a quick look for them now.
2: Oh, and you, you have a look for Steves and I'll you talk about the Twitter. Twitter one, yeah. I'll do the Twitter in. Um at New Rules New Life has tweeted it. Um first thing he said. When I asked for for people's suggestions of recasts, movie recasts, he said, "Is that like Vigo Mortensen uh, replacing Stuart Townsend in Lord of the Rings?" That's interesting. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of other people. Uh, well, one of the persons suggested that uh, Martin Cross at NBC UK um, also suggested Vigo Mortensen. He also said Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones instead of Tom Selleck, mm. which would have been interesting as well. I, and I, also I, one of these roles you can't imagine anybody else. Yeah, playing. I also. No, I can totally imagine Tom Selleck. My... <laughs> <laughs> With the mustache, yeah. Yep,
1: um, yeah Um I, I had Harrison Ford in mind but um having replaced uh Alec Baldwin as um of the, oh the God I can't remember. Tom Clancy character. What's his name? Jack Green Ryan present day. Jack Ryan, thank you. Know, yeah. Which then became um oh god, Affleck in terrible, terrible uh sum of all fears. Uh, so that was mm. there was a load of recasting in that one. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I have now got it's Chris these Pine, by
2: the way. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. was just bland? Um, but yeah, keep going, keep going. Owen. Yeah, we, well, we had a couple more. We had uh, Shorky also suggested Michael J. Fox um, yeah. in Back to the Future. Uh, and Matt Lambourne, um frequent listener, sometimes appearing on the podcast himself, yeah. also tweeted us. He said, how uh, about Kevin Peter Hall replacing Jean-Claude Van Damme in Predator? Which is a really oh, good yeah. shout, because... Van Damme was originally the Predator in Predator until he was too much of an arsehole and they kicked him out. Really? He sure it's not just because he, <laughs> he... would have yeah,
3: won the film, Yeah, they changed the whole character.
2: Oh. Pardon?
3: He would have won the film if he was Predator. So they were like, well, we <laughs> yeah, can't allow that Yeah, he would have outshined them all. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> um, so Kevin Peter Hall played Predator, who also plays the pilot in that film. He pilot's the helicopter as well. So there oh, you go, he okay. gets two roles. Um, and it, Matt also suggested Ernie Hudson... For Eddie Murphy in Ghostbusters,
3: yeah, I knew about that one. I think Eddie Murphy just—I think it was written for him, but he turned it down. I don't think he was ever actually yeah. cast.
2: I, I, Recast,
1: I yeah. did read some really interesting. Ones. Like I saw him, um, Sylvester Stallone as Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop, which is just the most <laughs> bizarre thing. I
3: think I read that one earlier as well. <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> Very odd. Were, Steve had one bad and two good ones. I'm not sure I agree with him. here. his bad one is Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi, which I think I, is a bit harsh. Yeah. Because I think I think Ewan McGregor does a good young Alec Guinness in those uh, films. And let's be yep. honest, the source material, the script he's working with, is hardly doing him any <laughs> yeah. favors.
3: That's so that, they're that's not terrible because of him.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's he also went for Mark Ruffalo as uh, Bruce Banner, and he went for Heath Ledger as the Joker. And I did say no reboot, Steve. I, you know exactly <laughs> what I said, Steve. And I, I I do think the Nolan Batman films are a reboot on the kind of the previous era films. But oh, I'll let you have it because Heath Ledger's Joker is better than Jack Nicholson's Joker, in my opinion. But hipster alert! I think Mark Hamill's Joker is the best of all. That's all I'm gonna say on that. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: terrifying. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's absolutely well, that's,
3: horrifying.
1: That's a triple build that took a little bit longer than we thought, but never mind. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh after that we got new releases before I go to sleep and um what was the other one? The guest. There we go. Coming up after the break. So, this week's new releases, a couple of new releases. First up is Before I Go to Sleep, written and directed by Rowan Joffe, uh, or Joffe, or, or what are we say now? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, jo- yeah, based on the best-selling novel by S.J. Watson, it stars Nicole Kidman as a 40-year-old amnesiac who wakes up every day having forgotten everything from the day before. Her husband, played by Colin Firth, appears to be hiding things from her, while her doctor, played by Mark Strong, is trying to treat her behind her husband's back by encouraging her to record her memories onto a digital camera. Mm, this isn't just a memento rip-off. This is an m memento rip-off. Here's a clip.
0: <laughs> you had an accident. It was a bad accident. You had head injuries. And you have problems remembering things. What things? What?
1: Everything. You store up information for a day. When you wake up in the morning, it's all gone. You're back to your early 20s. So there we go that was Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman in before I go to sleep Owen you start us off what did you think uh,
2: I don't really know how to start us off I mean I've... was it a good film I don't I don't really know it's hard to say it was okay yeah, I didn't have any major film, problems that? yeah I, there was nothing really like particularly bad about it it just wasn't it wasn't memento that was the problem I think it, it has a very similar premise um, and it kind that means automatically because it's like very close to being like Memento story. Um, I'm automatically in my mind comparing it and I tried to be objective, mm. um, but I struggled. I just thought mm, it's, it's not it hasn't good. got the inventiveness
1: that obviously Memento was told the, the other thing about Memento the... is it's told in reverse order whereas this is Yeah, this, the completely this, this sort of non-linear this story. It's quite yeah. linear. Obviously it it does the whole in medias bit where it starts in the middle and then you get back to where mm. it started but apart from that it's actually quite linear in that case. I, I, I think for the positives for me it it did build up tension very well I think for the first hour particularly um, kept the viewer guessing and not, not in that frustrating a way. There was some obvious Hitchcock, Hitchcock influences. Um, also reminded me a bit of Rosemary's Baby and that it, it places you in the mind of a potentially unreliable witness, uh, unreliable victim and yeah. that kind of thing. And I do think all three leads do pretty well with the material they're given. No one's putting in a bad performance here. I don't know, but no. that sums up the film for me. In the positives notes that I've written, <laughs> is no-one puts in a bad performance kind of thing. one of those types of... What did you think,
0: Carol?
3: Well, I thought... I quite enjoyed it, actually. I I thought it was quite good. I, I had no idea of the, um, of, the, of the premise of the film mm. other than seeing the trailer before I went in. I haven't read the book. Uh, the book is now 99p on Kindle Store, so I no, have okay. actually got the book to read. Um, but to be honest, I didn't really... I, I kind of forgot about Memento, pun not intended, uh, before I went in, so I wasn't <laughs> deliberately comparing it to Memento, which is probably... Done myself a huge favour there. Um yeah. but I thought it was quite good. Mm. I, I thought that everyone I thought the performances were good. Mm. Um I think that Mark Strong is just—he's fantastic. I'll watch him in anything. Yeah, I will watch oh, I that Jaguar advert yeah. over and over again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though he's he's currently playing, obviously in the advert, he's playing kind of the, the British bad guy. In this, you still don't know. I mean, he is typically a bad guy, obviously, but mm. you still don't know really whether he is no. bad or not. He, he's very kind of ambiguous. And, the film
1: does—I think the film does a good job of masking those uh, those elements. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you guessing. Yeah. It's not too repetitive. There are, you know, repetitive bits, but I think it handles that quite well. Like I said, for the first hour, for the first hour and a bit, I, I I was thinking, I'm really, really enjoying this. This is a good, solid thriller of the type of thriller that I like that they used to make a lot in the 80s and 90s and don't seem to really, really make much anymore. For me, the problem is once, once it starts to unravel, once you start to actually get the truth behind what's happening. It gets a bit OTT, it gets a little bit hammy. Um, and, and that bit is also quite drawn out as well. You know, I was watching it thinking, yeah. do you know what? Hitch would have found a way to end this five minutes after that reveal. That, that's what he yeah. did. Cause he knows that once that reveal's there, you've lost all your power as a filmmaker. You need to pretty much wrap that up. You build up to the reveal and then end the film. But this had the reveal <laughs> and then 20, 25 minutes, half an hour, I don't know of yeah. an extended kind of almost an
2: epilogue. Um, which I think but let whole, it down. the The whole film, though, is a series of reveals mm. because you you basically the main character knows nothing about herself yeah. and her story, so everything is revealed every five minutes. No, that's true. So I don't know whether it was just kind of like, I mean, it wasn't a watered down reveal. Um, that kept, that comes sort of three quarters of the way through, but there's um. There's lots and lots of twists, and I think, like you say, it plays up to the fact that it's like an 80s or 90s thriller. It has lots of these twists. But for me, I didn't think it was thrilling enough. I think a lot of the the big reveals or the thrills came from one character talking to another, and it was just like conversational twists. And I thought, well, nothing's actually happened, you've just said something's happened. Um, but also it was like a drama. I thought it was a bit too lightweight for a drama as well to be taken seriously. Because it is just... I mean, it is utterly ridiculous. I mean, you've got to suspend your disbelief going Hugely. in. Hugely. Know exactly what you're going in yeah. to see um, in terms of it's none of this. I mean, it's going to take itself very seriously. But there's nothing here that's to be let's taken be seriously. Not, one of
1: the reveals that it kind of hinges on is completely kind of ridiculous. And actually out of... a out of, uh, the, Out of character, uh, essentially. You know, the fact that, you know, there's something that all of a sudden they realise, it just seems a little bit mm, easy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's all I said.
2: But it was a bit of. I don't think it was obvious. I don't think it was obvious. No, 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 it
1: wasn't obvious. I don't think it was obvious to the viewer, but knowing that character and the way that character behaves, it felt a little bit like, well, surely they would have picked up on, you know, these clues beforehand. But, um, exactly. but, if, if said, it's
3: a bit I think you're talking about, the yeah. clues don't actually appear until that bit and then they disappear again.
1: Yeah, possibly mm. we might have to talk about this off air actually. Just, <laughs> just clear that up. But I wouldn't want to ruin it. Do you know what? It's the kind of no, thing, no. it's the kind of film that if you caught it on TV one night, you'd watch it and go, that wasn't a waste of my time. That was quite fun. Um, yeah. but it's certainly not, it, 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 and I think Owen in his review on the site basically summed it up
2: by saying, you yeah, know, ironically enough, it's not very memorable. <laughs> yeah, a bit like rain on your red on your wedding day, or a free ride on your already paid jam when you're already. Yeah, you've late. forgotten yeah. most of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Forgotten most of it by the time you get up next day. So yeah, that's
1: out <laughs> in cinemas already. As is our next film, The Guest, directed by Adam Wingard uh, and written by Simon Barrett, who both created last year's invasion horror. Um, a decent film, I thought. You're next. A bit flawed, but I quite enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of people, um this stars a load of people I've not seen before, I'll be honest. Except one guy who was in later seasons of ER, and I've not seen The Wire. Apparently a guy from The Wire is in it as well. But the star yes, is, Dan, is. Stevens, uh, uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens <clears throat> from Downton Abbey. Never seen Downton Abbey. He plays David, uh US military veteran who pays a visit to the Pattersons to pass on a message from their son who died in action. They invite him to stay for a few days and bad things start happening in their small town. Is David really what he seems? Here's a clip.
0: You guys should get out of here. Call the police and tell them the truth. Gang of high school kids came in here and demanded you serve them drinks. Well, you tried to ID them, but uh, they threatened to cause trouble. There was a fight. You didn't really get a good look at the other guys. Otherwise, I imagine you and this place could get into trouble for serving minors. I mean, this is what happens. Here. For the damages.
1: So that was Dan Stevens as the mysterious uh, and, and eponymous, the guest. Um, Carol, I... Uh, we, me and you have seen this, Owen's not seen this I know he's quite disappointed in Cineworld's booking policy for films Again. Uh, yes. as ever um, so Kat, what did you think about this film?
3: Well, I haven't seen uh, Your Next, the previous film by this uh, by this director so I didn't really know what to expect going in I've seen a couple of really good reviews and Basically, when I go to the cinema, I like to get two films in to feel like I've had my money's worth and my time's <laughs> worth. Cause it takes me quite a while to get there. So, and, and to be perfectly honest, these were the two that, before I go to sleep and the guests were the two that fitted together the best in the, in the itinerary. So, so I decided to make the guests my second one. And I was just really pleasantly surprised, actually. I thought it was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. It's stupidly hammy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like it, but it knows it's ridiculous. Um, it's just, It, yeah, just, it it gets more ludicrous as it goes on. And it kind of, it's self-aware all the way through. And then just gets this amazingly stupid climax. (laughs) Yeah. Which is just, which is just fantastic. But also, you know, everyone knows that it's stupid, but everyone's just having a fantastic time, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think that actually I was was amazed at how many people were in the cinema with me. It It was well over half full. And, uh, yeah, everyone else just seemed to really love it.
1: I saw it, I saw it in one of those rare occasions where you're the only one in cinema. That was amazing. Oh my God. I saw like a half eleven showing and, uh, yeah, I was the only one there, which made it really weird because I, I laughed out loud to certain bits in it and then realised I'm the only one in here, but I'm laughing out loud. And that's, it was <laughs> at, at times really, really funny. Yeah, quite dry and dark, but genuinely really, really funny. And, and like you, Carol, what I really liked about the film was that it did revel in its, horror thriller b-movie roots it it knew where it came from and it wasn't ashamed of it because i read a review recently which described it as a trashy stoker uh and to be honest i thought stoker was pretty trashy to be honest (laughs) um but stoker (laughs) pretended not to be trashy It, it, it kind of aspired to be this high art version of this form of cinema but this didn't this was just no it had no illusions it set out purely to entertain and it it really delivers on that part it's Kind of part Fright Night, part Dead Man's Shoes, part Cabin in the Woods. Um, certainly with regards to a you know, tonal shift during the course of the film. There there is a tonal shift about halfway through, which feels really odd, but somehow it all pulls it together at the end. And you'll only understand that if you've seen it. Um, but there was a, the film went in the direction I thought, no, this isn't gonna work. I'm not happy you've gone in this direction. But somehow it pulled it all together because it just got more ridiculous it yeah there were flashes of the scream franchise in there as well um i no i really really enjoyed it as you mentioned on the football 365 from carol great soundtrack kind of again oh, I loved it. one of those one of those soundtracks which <laughs> comes from the 80s just really it know, was straight of out of the first terminator sound.
3: wasn't it all the yeah synths.
1: it really was loads of it, it you know those those soundtracks that always remind me of jez and superhands from peep show uh yeah you know, <laughs> like, you know, the longer the note the more dread it was, <laughs> um the title card that just flashed up the guest felt like it could have been from a 70s horror film just like it, it you could see it as being quite derivative. There's there's nothing hugely original going on here, but it is a lovingly reconstructed load of tropes and uh, conventions from horror. I can I, despite the fact it's not a horror film, I can see why it played at Fright Fest because it it definitely plays with a lot of those tropes, uh, a lot of those conventions, and it's it you can see it being uh, appreciated by the same audience.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I think actually I think it was quite brave. In, I don't want to give it away anything away yeah. in the film at all, but I think it was quite brave with with some of the decisions towards the end. Definitely yeah. in the last kind of fifteen minutes. Yes, I I really really wasn't expecting. It shocked me a what few happened.
1: times. Yeah, it shocked yeah. me a few times. Uh And and finally, just that I've I've never seen Dan Evans before. Apparently, he was in the um the WikiLeaks film with Benedict Cumberbatch, but. No one saw had. that, so. Yeah, well, well, we did, and it was Paul. <laughs> um, or maybe it was just me, I can't remember, but it was Paul. Um, but I, I will say he completely nailed the part of the mysterious and charming Anti. Yeah, it's, he has a lot of fun in this role. And I don't know if it's just his accent, but you kind of remind, I could see a young Matthew McConaughey playing this role, and, uh, he, he had that, he had that, that presence about it. It really, really, I, I will say, Please, please go and see it. really, really enjoyed it. And I saw Your Next last year, and I I quite enjoyed it. That was another one of those. Up until the kind of 50-minute hour mark, I was really enjoying it. And I thought, oh, no, you've you've made a mistake moving to this kind of where you've gone. This is like Adam Wingard learnt a lot from that first film, and he's put that to good use. It's, It's a cracking little film. Really, really enjoyable. And apparently the soundtrack is out, available next week. I tried to buy the soundtrack tonight... It's not out until the 15th of September, but there's a great kind of 80s industrial synth soundtrack to it, as as well as the brilliant creepy soundtrack, uh, the the score. There's a great soundtrack as well with kind of Sisters of Mercy, that kind of thing as well, which I'm clearly going to buy as soon as I can. So, uh, yeah, really, (laughs) really enjoyed the guest. That's also out in cinemas at the moment. Um, Okay, then finally, let's wrap up there. Moving on to recommendations. And uh, Carol, what's your recommendation for this week?
3: Well, I know that people have recommended this film before, but I'm just going to keep recommending it until everyone sees it, Uh because on Friday night um, on Channel 4 at 10 to midnight is uh, The Raid, The Raid 1, Uh not its slight, in my opinion, slightly obese neighbour, The Raid 2, I, I wasn't so keen on The Raid I've, I've 2. I've got The Raid
1: 2 on Blu-ray, I've not watched it yet, but... I, I, I'd be, I want to watch them back to back basically, because I never did that in the cinema. That's either.
3: how I did, and I think okay. that's what let me down slightly, okay. uh, because I did watch- I think
2: them. I enjoyed the second one more, actually. I think, I dunno, the second one just had more, a lot more to it, whereas the first one was really refined and great for it. I dunno. But, but for
1: don't. me, do you know what, it's like a great beer or a great whiskey, sometimes you're in the mood for one or the other. Me yeah, usually yeah, it's both definitely. when I'm recording this podcast, but um, <laughs> um but yeah, I'm I, I'm looking forward to watching them both again, to be honest. No, such I like
3: fun. I like the first one because it's just it's lean, you know, it's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. There's about I don't know, ten lines of dialogue in the whole thing. <laughs> uh, not that not that normally puts me off a film, lots of dialogue, but it's just it's fantastic, and the and the martial arts sequences are just amazing.
1: And you are right. anyone who likes mm. action films and hasn't seen that just needs to remedy that straight away, don't they?
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Owen, uh, what's your recommendation for this week then?
2: Um, well, I'm picking a film. It kind of goes two ways actually, because it's in the cinemas at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually being screened this week kind of in selected um, places as a re-release. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also on movie movie dot com. So you can sort of sign up for a free trial there and, and watch it online if you want to. Or you can go to the cinema. M, Fritz mm. Lang's film um, from 1931. German film about a sort of serial killer uh, or child killer. Um, played by Peter Law Peter Lorre? I don't really know Laura, his name. Yeah, I guess. Laura, no, that standard. guy. Standard for this podcast. Yeah, of course. It's a foreign name. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, typical... <laughs> No, anyway, I'm not going there. So, um, but it's a brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant. I think when the first time I saw it was shortly after I'd seen Metropolis mm. for the first time, which is also by Fritz, Fritz Lang, which I enjoyed, but M was just topped it's, it by Yeah, well.
1: it's Lang's favourite. It was Lang's favourite film in the end. It was his first talkie mm. as well. Um, and... Yeah. I was, I, I watched this on movie last night. I've got the, it's uh, got the PlayStation 3 app uh, for movies. So I was able to watch it, watch this HDI restoration and it looks fantastic. And the film, it's the first time I've seen it in about a decade and the film hasn't lost any of yeah. its power. Uh, it's incredibly yeah. chilling and I I love the kind of way it is looking at every aspect in culture of the crime and you've got people talking about taking fingerprints i didn't realize they were really doing that much back there yeah you've got that side of it you've got the fact that the criminals realize this investigation is impinging on their livelihood so they decide to you know you've got vigilante mobs and things it's actually quite ahead of its time as well Uh, yeah brilliant brilliant film um so no, great recommendation. But there's about four different versions of it. I'm not sure which one is being shown. The one on, on movie is Mubi the Mubi longest the moment, and most complete version. It's the 111 right, okay. minute version of the film. Um So yeah. yeah, it's it is the most complete version you get, and it's been restored in HD. So I'd definitely, if you can't find a cinema showing it, sign up to movie for free for a month uh, and try it. I think it's yeah, only three ninety nine a month. After that, really, really great service. Um And my recommendation, I've been tipped off that film I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Rust and Bone, my favorite film of 2012. The film about, um, a paraplegic dolphin trainer and a bare knuckle boxer and the love that dare not speak its name between them. It's, it's an utterly, if you try and pitch it, it's a ridiculous film, but actually <laughs> it's a really beautifully shot, wonderfully acted and moving, uh, French film starring Marion Cotillard, uh, Matthias Schernartz and, um, soundtracked by the Katy Perry song Firework. Uh, so if that doesn't get you wanting to watch it, I don't know what will. It's on Film for on Sunday night. I can't remember the time exactly. You can look it up. Um, that's yeah. it for this week. That's it for my very, very short and special stint as the host of this podcast that I actually started 120 episodes ago. Finally got to host the damn thing and I really enjoyed <laughs> it. I've loved being back. Uh, I'll try and stay away for a bit longer than two weeks next time though, I promise. Uh, while I'm here, I do just want quickly want to plug another film related podcast that i'm involved with at the moment called the pitch where me and my friend nathan human uh decide to pitch imaginary films against each other and see which one's best um you can find that at diamondandhuman.com. um and uh, we've got another podcast there. It, it's my own band now I've, I've split off i've got a solo project and everything <laughs> like that um you can I, also Paul McCartney with find... wings uh yeah wings the band the beatles could have been another patriotism yes. just shoved in <laughs> <there. Yeah>. um <laughs> Obviously you can also find everything that the brilliant team at Fail Critics have been doing. Ever since I stepped aside, we've had loads more views on the website. Um ever since I was last on, we've blasted through twenty thousand downloads of the podcast. So thank you to everyone who's ever downloaded the podcast and continues to listen to and support the podcast. But yeah, go to failcritics.com. Huge amount of uh brilliant articles up there at the moment. Oh, and quick choice of a few really, really good ones that people can read at the moment.
2: <laughs> The london Film festival preview yeah. is is great. that's really good. We also got linked to by the Guardian recently it, I'm not sure how that happened Steve yeah in his absence. yes he's now one of the most popular um writers we've ever had on the on the <laughs> critics because of this one article where he sort of slates green Mountain, maybe him and
1: Peter Bradshaw can go off for drinks in
2: Shoreditch and slag me off together <laughs> now. maybe that's what exactly. could happen um um. But also a couple of other quick things. We've also had the start of a new series this week, which where, um, Callum's looking at the US box office report after a weekend, just mm-hmm. as a look at what's been moving, what's gone up, what's gone down, that sort of thing. Um, and we've still got some more Frightfest diary things that are going up from Mike Shawcross. So plenty yeah, to excellent. be, um, to be getting. So that's
1: with. at failedcritics.com. You can obviously find us at Facebook at, uh, facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Uh, thanks for welcoming me back again, Owen and Carol. Um, hope you all have a good time wherever you are and listening, and we'll have you back soon. Don't worry, Steve's back next week. Thank you. Good night.
3: Paul Rudd? No. Oh, no. Do you know what? I know who it is. <laughs> I know who it is. Uh, I, <laughs> I
1: know you, Jason. Oh, pressure's on Owen. can on. She knows who it is, Owen. I know. Oh, Ben Stiller? It is not Ben no. Stiller. Okay. Uh, going a bit further back then, The Dark Knight Rises in 2012. Owen? Oh. Joseph yes. gordon Levy? No.
2: Oh.
3: oh, it's not who I thought it was. Um... Uh, I haven't seen Anchorman 2. Uh, D- Will Ferrell. I know it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Love to have seen Will Ferrell in the Darkness I pushing up. Okay, back to 2011, Midnight in Paris. Owen. Oh, yes. Michael Kane? Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's quite
3: a good guess though, isn't it? Um, I'm struggling to remember who was in Midnight in Paris I, li- I really love that film but all I can see is Owen Wilson I know he wasn't in <laughs> Dark Knight Rises i <laughs> would rather not
1: guess no I like She'd it i would rather um, not guess ok then 2011 as well Contagion
2: he was in Contagion who was also in Dark Knight Rises. I've
1: deliberately chosen some big ensemble casts here. Just this is, just yeah, to this is a little bit, yeah, no, evil, right. frankly. Um, okay, this this might make it a bit easier then. Back in 2010, Inception. Owen, Tom Hardy. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um. Is it? Is it Ken Watanabe?
1: No, it is not. Okay. Back in 2009, Public Enemies.
3: Can't we get that other guy back?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Public Enemies? Public Enemies. That's not Leo DiCaprio. No, it's not. Okay. Any guesses there?
3: No. In, I, oh my god. I okay, can't back in 2006,
1: that. a good year.
2: <gasps> oh, no. I don't I know who was in that, but I shit. No, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. No, a 2004,
1: a very long engagement.
2: No, it's more Steve's territory that one.
3: <laughs> 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 it's uh, not it's not um it's not Anne Hathaway, is it? No it's not. No.
1: Back in two thousand three, Big Fish.
2: I'm guessing now it's gonna be an actress, Jesus but Christ. I can't remember who the actress was who was in Big Fish, which isn't very There's
3: literally only one actress in the Dark Knight Rises and that is uh the one I've just <laughs> said. Coletard.
1: Is that your guess, Owen? Yeah. Yes it
2: is oh, <laughs> it's no.
1: Coteard, uh, yeah. That's it. I, I did stay away from a lot of her French films. I could have said Rust and Bone, for example, and I could have said a number of other other films. No, but yes, well done, Owen. You've taken a 2-1 lead. And, uh, obviously Marion Cotillard is in Two Days, One Night, which I will be reviewing later on in the podcast. Moving on to the news. And I think the big thing that we all want to talk about is the launch of the London Film Festival. Uh, a number of big films getting their premieres on these shores, uh, later on in October. Uh, Looking at films like The Imitation Game, uh, which features Benedict Cumberbatch's attempt to beat The Rock's record for the most film appearances over a three-year period. Fury, uh, which finally, finally matches Brad Pitt and Shy the Beef on the same screen. It's a bit like Heat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Foxcatcher with Steve Carell doing a Robin Williams. um, I, I mean... Like, basically doing a straight creepy psycho role. Uh, Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Men, Women and Children, the new film from Jason Reitman and also Mr. Turner, which is Mike Lee directing surprise, surprise Timothy Spool, uh, in a biopic of The Great Artist. Uh, what are you thinking about those films? Have you heard anything about them? Got any, any there that you particularly interested in?
3: Yeah, pretty, well, pretty much all of them actually from my point of view, <laughs> although in a spectacular, uh act of, of self handicapping I have booked a holiday for the first week, <laughs> so I'm going to be not there for for many of the films you've just mentioned oh, dear. <laughs> because all the films uh seem to be playing in kind of like, in a, a three day span basically, so you can see it one day or you can see it the day after, and that's pretty much it um so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that unfortunately I'm going to miss um but I'm really looking forward to uh mr Turner I think a lot of them to be honest are coming out not very long. Afterwards, mm. anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to Mr. Turner, um, the Tate in a in a great um, kind of synergy of just put together a, um, a, an exhibition of late Turner work. So that could be a good a good double bill, I think. Go and watch that, and then go to the Tate afterwards. Yeah. Um, so. yeah. so yeah, there were there were quite a, a, a few um, really good films. Men, women, women and children is one that I'm probably slightly gutted that I'm going to have to miss. Mm. Um because I was really looking forward to that and the and even though it is Adam Sandler, you know, he does do some good films sometimes so we'll we'll let him yeah. off.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh it And it's Jason really Lightman
1: directing, it's not Well yes uh, Yeah yeah it's not that,
3: that's what I'm holding on to. It's
1: for, not really. an untitled Adam Sandler comedy vehicle or
3: something like that. So, <laughs> <No. yeah. laughs> but um yeah, so, so pretty much all of all of them really? Uh, looking forward to. I, have to I say, really think Foxcatch is the one
1: that I'm really, really looking forward to. I've, I've heard really good things about it from Toronto Film Festival uh, yeah. there was a huge delay, wasn't there? It was meant to be out because originally people were talking about it for last year's Oscars, or oh well, the, the Oscars that have just gone. Uh, there was a bit of a quite a big delay on it, but I'm hearing really, really good things about that, and it's based on a very, very creepy true story about wrestlers, like like proper wrestlers, not the American.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've seen Steve Carell's done a, a bit of a, played a bit of a shit in, in the way, way back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I think this is going to be on a completely, a whole new level. And, and again, from the, I've only seen a trailer, but it does look. But he does look very effective. He's almost unrecognisable. He's got a prosthetic uh, he's, nose he's on, hasn't he? He's basically prosthetics as well.
1: Gone down and yes. Nicole Kidman give me an Oscar route there. Um, <laughs> stick yeah, a fake nose absolutely. on, job done. Um, I'm also really interested in uh, seeing Rosewater, which is uh, John Stewart from The Daily Show's directorial debut, about um, starring Gail garcia bernal as a, a BBC reporter held captive in Iraq for 118 days. Anything you're particularly interested in knowing?
2: Yeah, well there's a couple, I mean obviously the first thing I did was look for any Korean films and I found a couple that sound quite good. Um, One of them that's showing is a film called A Girl at My Door um, Mm. which isn't written by or directed by Lee Chang-dong but his name is still attached and that's kind of enough to get me excited about it. (laughs) Is he the Korean Quentin Tarantino? In the sense that (laughs) Quentin Tarantino presents. Presents. No, he's actually a producer on the film so that gives me some hope. Um, but his other films are just absolutely fantastic, and and there's another one that was picked up on by Carol in her preview on the website for the London Film Festival, good called plug. A Hard Day. Yeah, another good plug. I'm getting good at these. That's kind of what I do now. I just appear on the, on the podcast and plug the website. But um, yeah, A Hard Day. It's kind of like um, I think she, I think you actually described it, Carol, as a neo noir. Um, which That's how it's, not like? my
3: words. The words of the brochure.
2: <laughs> the words from the brochure. I think I say you Shaking Stevens. Not my words. <laughs> <laughs> the words of Shaking Stevens. <laughs> That'll be my second partridgeism of today. Yeah. But um, so yeah, but it's it's it sounds quite good. It got a lot of um, like through word of mouth. It became really popular in career. It went into their box office really low, and just because people were talking about it, it suddenly climbed up their chart and yeah so I mean I'm really looking forward to to those two most of all I think also um monsters sequels uh mm. supposed to be i don't know I don't know whether I'm excited about it or not because I did quite enjoy Godzilla, but monsters left me wanting a bit more, so I don't know monsters it's a new
1: Godzilla? director, isn't it yeah yeah,
2: it's
3: a different director i think the the guy oh, right. uh, okay. Gareth. Gareth Edwards, not Gareth Evans, as no. I said the other day to someone. That's someone that's a different Welshman. I Gareth always get Edwards. them confused. Yeah, I always <laughs> yeah. get them confused. Yeah. Uh Gareth Edwards is producing it, but I think by oh, okay. the sounds of it they they are using the franchise, the monsters franchise as it is, to uh give chances to people to direct for the first time or, or to direct a oh, big right. film for the first time. So you'll get a different director each each one basically that's what it sounds like it's going to happen That's
1: quite
2: interesting cool yeah i'm glad i mentioned it without it? knowing anything about it i feel <laughs> educated you lucked <laughs> out there
1: uh I michael winterbottom's face of an angel which is inspired by the amanda knox case and stars daniel Brule and kate beckett so i think that looks really interesting another one that i caught my eye was uh the mule um which is uh an aussie comedy about a drug mule that seems to show hugo weaving channeling the look of Nick Cave as a drug cop which I'm, I'm there for that already to be honest I, I, I'm a big Hugo Weaving fan so lo- uh, there's huge huge number of films on there if you can get to London at all I'd suggest trying to get some tickets if you can get your hands on them they seem to be a bit gold dust for the bigger films we will maybe somehow attempt to meet up for London Film Festival that the, the plan is to possibly do a podcast from down there so um so keep keep your fingers crossed that we can put all that together. Uh Apart from that, that I think that's that's probably it. For the, no one's died this week, so that's good.
2: News is a bit short. There's something
3: to be glad of, though. There like, is something really. to be yeah. very glad. You sound glad. you sound slightly disappointed. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's worse when you
2: phrase my... it as it's worse when you phrase it that people have died, but nobody worth talking about. <laughs> then that's kind of a bit more <laughs> depressing way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. Uh, Now I'm depressed. So we'll take a break there. Uh, I'm going to fill up my wine glass and drown my sorrows. Thanks for that, Owen. (laughs) And we'll be back after the break with what we've been watching. (laughs) Right, so what we've been watching, the the films, or in this case, some of the television and box sets that we've been watching over the last week. Uh, And I'm going to come to you, Carol, because you've not watched any films. uh, Very unprofessional. However,
3: uh, I have watched some new releases, thank <laughs> you know, very much. Fact, and like I
1: can talk, I used to be terrible for this. Uh, but what what have you been watching and what has stopped you uh, delving into Netflix and your DVDs on your shelf uh, in the last week or so?
3: Well, um, I, I went to, I, I'll, I'll expand on this story a little bit. I went to a wedding, I uh, uh, think now about six weeks ago, um, where the... Uh, Brian and Groom, Billy and Katie, I love you guys, but you are proper geeks. And you, <laughs> they signed the register to two two uh, songs. One was a Legend of Zelda theme tune, <laughs> and <laughs> played by String Quartet. I'm not joking. Nice. And, um, <laughs> and the other one was, was Game of, the Game of Thrones theme tune. And uh, when we went into the, the wedding breakfast, all the uh, tables were named after, I, as I later learned, houses in nice. Game of Thrones. What
1: house were you sat on?
3: I think it was the Lannister. I can't oh, that's remember. Good. That's Stark good. was yeah. the head table. I remember okay. that. I yeah. think we were Lannister because we were on the table with the ushers. But anyway, so so I got talking to several people about this, and they all said, "Oh, you haven't watched Game of Thrones. Oh, you should really watch Game of Thrones. It's really good." And someone tried to sell it to me as Lord of the Rings with nudity, Your and tics. that didn't yeah. really didn't really, <laughs> oh, boats, well. <laughs> <laughs> didn't really float my bait. To be honest, didn't really fight my bait. To be honest, I'm not a massive Lord of the Rings fan. But they said, give it a try. And I said, okay. So we got the first series, sat down and watched it. Um, and then we got the second series. So I'm now up to the end of the second series. So I, please don't tell me anything that mm. happens after the second, the end of the second series. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's alright. It's quite good. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gore in it. Quite a lot more gore than I was expecting for a, um, mm. for a US mm. TV show. I know it is HBO and I know they do, they can push the envelope a bit more, but, uh, yeah, a bit, bit of swearing and, and a bit of nudity. So yeah, I think the yeah. Lord of the Rings for Grown-Ups thing isn't really justified. I think it's a bit more interesting than that, personally. Yeah. Uh, there's not we... loads
1: of weird magic and stuff like that. Is that. It's mostly kind of quite medieval in its ways. Well, its there is ways.
2: quite a bit of magic. It is very much a fantasy yeah. story. But, there was but some but sort of
3: demon baby.
2: Of, yeah, there yeah. there is that. And there is a woman
1: with some dragons. But apart from that... <laughs> And, and, that. and the stuff on the north of the wall, but apart from that, but, <laughs> and the but zombies, it, but I, I'd, I'd like that. to think of it as kind of like a medieval west wing at times as well. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> political manoeuvring and stuff like that. I, I really enjoy. It. I found it kind of works best in because I've watched some series where I've just got the the box set and I've played through them. I did that early because I I missed the first season or two, um. And, but the most recent season, I watched it week on week on Sky Atlantic, and mm. I think I preferred. Binging on it, I think, because there are so many characters, there's so many intertwining storylines, and some people, you if you watch it at TV pace, you don't actually kind of see again for five or six weeks, or in some cases, a season or two. Um I think it works quite well as, as something that you binge on rather than watch regularly. So, have have you got access to all of them, or are you going to have to wait for some of the latest that you have? I think be, <laughs> and I think you will, you will speed
3: through them. Mm. Yeah, I mean we're going, we're going, we're we're normally watching two episodes an evening, which is I think is probably my limit for that sort of stuff because just because of the actual time it takes. You know once I get home and have dinner and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's good. I am quite enjoying it. Uh, I'm not massively, massively into it like mm. but, like the aforementioned bride and groom no, no. <laughs> quite clearly are. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. It's it's, it's a good entertaining a... TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I like
2: how hey, all the like serious, I mean just cause you've compared it to West Wing, but all this yeah. like serious political chat that goes on is done with like nudity or sex yeah. in the foreground. Yeah, so I, I you believe... know, if you're not into that, you've got a little bit of
1: something else to keep you interested. I, I believe the phrase is sex position. Uh, I think James yeah, exactly. introduced sex. us to sex position. Uh, yeah. but loads of important plot points just have to be got over in a brothel. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's it's not my uh brother-in-law uh at christmas he was down for christmas and i told my uh my parents-in-law you really should watch game of thrones i was wise enough to not be there when they watched it but my brother-in-law <laughs> their son ended up watching it with them at christmas and that that was an uncomfortable christmas evening <laughs> uh, so yeah that, that was that was fun i was glad to hear about that i'm glad i set that up okay owen what have you been watching this week then
2: Um, Well, I'm cheating slightly. It wasn't exactly this week that I watched it, but I'm still going to talk about about it anyway. We're used to you bending these rules. I bend rules all the time. I'm a maverick me. Um, (laughs) So, in the least maverick way. You can be my wingman (laughs) anytime. time. Yeah, I watched a documentary called Bronies, the extremely unexpected adult fans of My Little Pony. Mm ever either of you two bronies? I'm guessing not. No.
1: No, okay. I'll be, I'll be I'll not in a kind of like dismissive way. I just never really thought that was a thing.
3: I have yeah. observed them in the basement of Forbidden Planet. <laughs> like, like a I sound how like David yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in their I Didn't want to habitat. get too close. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
2: um, okay, I'm not a brony, and I only found out about this when it was sent to me on Twitter. Someone tweeted me that this was a thing. And I had absolutely no idea it existed. Basically bronies are uh people, usually men, who have formed a kind of community amongst themselves, um through their love for the cartoon My Little Pony. And that's not the old eighties cartoon, it is a new modern interpretation. Is it interpretation adapter? I don't know what it is. The cartoon about girls' toys, basically. Um <laughs>
1: That's the gender stereotyping, Owen. Oh, goodness
3: me. <laughs> well, did you ever have yeah, a little okay, pony, James?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I might have had a care bear at one point. I might have had a care bear. I, I might have also just squashed that memory down. <laughs> Let's not think about that anymore. <laughs>
2: okay. Um, well, part of the film, it sets it up, uh, the documentary starts off by setting itself up as a bit of a, like, shock, a culture shock for people that, you know, this simple, Little girls' cartoon, and I think I am right in saying that it is primarily aimed at a specific gender. I think when they created it, it was it was by a woman who wanted to kind of invoke this this thing that she used to she used to play with these toys when she was a kid, and she wanted other little girls to share in her kind of fantasies about these these characters that she created. Um, so the, the the shock comes from wow, there were, there were these adult men who really love this girl's cartoon. And through the, the course of the documentary, it tries to break down these stereotypes and says, well, is it actually for for girls? If you look at what's happening in it, is it just because they're girls and they live in pink houses and they're called Sparkle and Twilight and stuff like that? So you automatically impose your own, um, you know, assumptions on, on what it's supposed to be and who it's supposed to be for. And then, and then it talks about, like, the actual people who are into this cartoon. So it follows lots of different... Um, lots of different people you've got this this kid in America who's bullied for liking my little pony, and he found it it was like him coming out to his parents that he likes this girl's cartoon and he had to keep it to himself for a long time and it's you know I mean, I don't know how much of it is hyperbole and whether it's just built up because it's a um a documentary about it or not I don't really don't really know I think some of it might be playing up to the camera, but it also has. What, what the impression that I got, I watched it with my wife and she also just had absolutely no idea about it. I put this documentary on and said, look, you've got to watch this because it just sounds absolutely bonkers. And she was she was as shocked as I was by some of these these kids. But the, the automatic thing you start to think about is th- these kids, they're just. I mean, a, a, again, perhaps it's just my I don't it's not prejudices, but the, the assumptions about the people who who are watching it, I just thought, well, are they these, like, high-functioning autistic kids? Are they, have they got Asperger's? Is that what it is? Because the, the cartoon itself is about um, characters with very defined um, personalities. Well, not personalities. You know what I mean. Because they're horses, so they can't have personalities. personality. But, the, you know, they've got their own characteristics, these traits that make them who they are. And it makes it easy for the, these kids with Asperger's. In fact, one of the kids who's in the documentary... Um, has Asperger's and talks about it quite openly. And it's, you know, it makes him easy. It makes it easy for him to understand their reactions to things. Part of me thinks, well, that's just cartoons. It's not specific to My Little Pony. Lots of kids' cartoons are written in a very simplistic way. And kids, you know, the characters in the, in the cartoon learn the message. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, this thing has happened and they've learned a lesson. And it's you know, that's just kind of standard, I think, for American kids' cartoons, well, just kids' cartoons in general. And I'm not having to go at it for all that. I think that's fine. But the documentary itself paints it. I mean, the other thing it does is tries to get these people to explain why they like My Little Pony so much. And it's really awkward, because they're, first of all, all of them quite socially awkward themselves anyway. And then the 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 explanations they give are really basic, like, the characters are really good. And you think, well, you've not really explained why you like it, <laughs> what's good about them. And there's a lot of fluff like that in the documentary. And it is partly a, an advert for what's called brony con or well, something similar so the, a lot of it is about this brony con where all these kids from all over the world who share a common interest they don't really have any friends they're all a bit loners and they all come together eventually for this thing and it just unites them and that's probably the weakest aspect of the whole, the whole film because it's just well I don't really give a, a shit what I want to watch this documentary for is the weirdos who <laughs> likes this cartoon stop <laughs> trying to make me feel sympathy for these people or feel like they're normal I don't want, I don't want to watch a documentary for that I want to see the crazy people and it doesn't really show you any of those. It's a bit apologetic. Um Not apologetic. It's just a bit wishy-washy, a bit nice. And that deflates the kind of expectations slightly. Um But, you know, I think it's okay for what it is. But, uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more weirdos. I wanted to see more crazy people. Like, there's a guy who has married one of the cartoon characters. And he goes around on internet forums. In real, This is in real life. This is not just made up for the documentary. Mm. They don't talk about it on the documentary. It's like he has claimed to have married one of these cartoon characters. <laughs> and he's written an open letter online. You can Google it and you can find it where he tries to discourage people from drawing, um, without trying to turn the atmosphere too blue, kind of porn. You know, drawn explicit images of themselves with these cartoon characters, these cartoon underage girl horses, and so it's all a bit weird, and I would have liked to have seen something that kind of dissected who these people are and why they think it's acceptable, but it's not it's very lightweight. it's just a really nice look at the people who are actually a bit kooky, but it's only because they're you know they don't really have many friends, and they just get together for this this cartoon so that's it really. Um, but it's probably worth a watch if you don't know anything about brony culture, which I didn't, so it's kind of enlightened me a little bit, but yeah, it wasn't that fantastic.
3: So basically, Hasbro's answer to the Lego movie isn't very good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, it depends, because Callum really enjoyed the movie of My Little Pony, um... A movie Again, not putting any stereotypes out there. That doesn't surprise me too much that Callum <laughs> likes it because he's talked openly about his, like, you know, he likes animation. He's talked about cartoons that he enjoys yeah. as an adult anyway. But, yeah, I mean, he really, really liked the movie that was made of My Little Pony. But I've tried watching it. I don't get it at all. I can understand why... <laughs> Kids who have this, you know, suffer from Asperger's or... I don't know, it's not suffering, is it? I'm just digging holes here. Oh my God, after after the sexism in the last podcast. I know, it's just getting worse, isn't it?
3: He's an equal opportunity to hate though. (laughs) Um,
2: mm, I'll just stop, shall I? Yeah, you miserable sod, yeah. Okay.
1: I, I, okay, uh I watched uh, a few films. For once, I actually did some prep, watched a few films. But uh, the one I want to talk about this week is Two Days, One Night, or as my, even my very basic level of French uh, can say, du jour une nuit. Uh, I believe that that's right, is it? <laughs> no uh, one's going to correct
3: me. but uh, yeah, pretty much.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Okay, that, that'll do for me. Uh, it's the latest <laughs> film from the critically acclaimed Belgian filmmakers, the Dardenne Brothers. Uh, In fact, this is the first film they've ever made that's left the Cannes Film Festival completely empty-handed, but don't let that misguide you into thinking this isn't up to their usual standards. That said, when I say usual standards, I've only actually ever seen one of their previous films, which is The Wonderful Kid With A Bike, which I reviewed on one of our very early podcasts, actually. Mm. Really enjoyed that, but I think this is even better. It stars Marion Cotillard, uh, who is the first big actor the Dardens have ever worked with. In fact, it's the She's the first non-Belgian actor they've worked with and she stars as Sandra, a wife and mother who has been made redundant from her job at a solar panel factory after being off sick for a period with severe depression. Uh, And the reason she's been made redundant is that the manager forced her co-workers uh, coworkers to either vote to keep her on and lose their bonus or make her redundant and keep their €1,000 bonus. Sandra and one of her colleagues persuade the manager to rerun the ballot in secret and then Sandra has a weekend, the titular two days and one night, to visit her colleagues and try and persuade them to change her, uh, change their minds, because the first vote ended 14-2 against her. First things first, I just have to say, Cotillard is magnificent in this. Uh, I've long been a big fan of hers, and I have to I think this performance possibly surpasses that of hers in Rust and Bone, which was my favourite film and performance of 2012. And it's not just me as well that thinks this, uh, a load of very respected critics and journalists thought she was robbed at Cannes when she didn't go home with the best actress. And, um, and she will inevitably be, uh, snubbed at the Oscars and BAFTAs next year because she's French in a Belgian film. Uh, I'll just put it this way. When me and Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian agree on something, you can pretty much guarantee it as being correct. Uh, Cotillard basically carries this film. She appears in every scene. Uh, has to show a massive range of emotion. She, you yeah, know, during the film, she is someone still. Her character is still very much suffering uh, the the symptoms of extreme depression. Uh, and different scales of performance. Sometimes she has to be very, very emotional. Sometimes a completely blank canvas. It, it, really, really interesting. I, I love this performance. It drew me in. Um, I've heard some people claim the film is a little bit repetitive because. She basically starts her speech to each of her co-workers in a very similar way for each encounter. Some of their reactions are quite similar, but I think this in itself is quite a telling and involving technique. Um, you, you, Each of the people she speaks to, you're not just learning her story, you're learning their story. Um, with the odd exception, there's no real villains in this piece. Uh, even you know, the 14 people who voted against her, they're just, most of them, unfortunate victims of circumstance. I, I think this is a, a film not just about... Uh, a woman fighting for her job actually it's a film about solidarity in general without wishing to come across old Jerry um, and Jerry would love this by the way uh, genuinely uh, yeah. It, this film is just as much about capitalism's triumph over the workers as it is about this one person I think a film like this puts a, a human face to job cuts victims of globalisation uh, and really, it's a telling reminder that every time you hear about job cuts, unemployment figures, that kind of thing on the news, each one of those numbers is a person with responsibilities to people and with vulnerabilities. Uh, this film kind of gets that across in a really, really human and engaging way. And um, I think what I love most about the film was that the build-up itself wasn't let down by the payoff. This It happens so rarely these days that a film ends perfectly. And I, I really, really think this film ends and so well um its style is almost kind of Dogma 95 but without the being a pain in the ass that Lars Trier is, is exactly, it, it's very ultra realistic there is no soundtrack it's just the ambient noise it's handheld cameras um on the main and it's it's a simple story told well it's just this really really lovely beautifully crafted film one small criticism, and it's not of the film, actually, uh, but the BBFC certificate before the film had a trigger warning on it about one scene, and I'm not going to go into what that is. However, if you go and see this film, you, you will read it before the film even starts. Now, I understand the reason for that trigger warning to be there on the certification uh, notice, but at the same time, it flags a big plot point, and for the rest of the film... I was unconsciously kind of waiting for this scene to happen, uh, which did lessen the impact of the scene when it did occur. And that's despite the fact that I felt this scene was handled with great sensitivity and almost a terrifying banality as well. Um, So I'm not quite sure I've got an answer for that. It's just kind of a warning, a heads up. If you do go and see this film... Maybe just look away at the certification, but I don't know. Uh, Although in the screening I was in, someone kind of read it out loudly. Yeah, the way that people just read stuff off the screen loudly for no reason, idiot. Anyway, um, (laughs) all I was this film won't be amazing for everyone, and I don't mean that in a snobby way. I just know that ultra naturalist, ultra naturalistic French language dramas about small town life aren't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Um. But if you love film in any way, please, please give this a go. It is that epitome of a simple tale told well. And actually, do you know what? The more I think about it, the more convinced I am that I have a new favourite film that I've seen this year. Absolutely adore it.
3: Wow. High praise indeed.
1: Exactly. Like, Like I say, do you know, it is... It is very much my kind of film in that sense. Yeah, I, I love Blue is the Warmest Colour. I, I love Rust and Bone. I do love these. I love French cinema in that sense. Um, in the same way that someone who's a horror fan who saw a horror film done really well would probably rave about it more than people who didn't quite have that love for that style and that genre. So I, I think, I, I honestly think loads of people would really like this. They wouldn't necessarily think it's the best film of the year. But because everything just fitted so well for it, I think yeah, that it's I think I need to think about it and I'd want to go and see it again. But I think something has finally toppled toppled the Lego film from my, my top <laughs> my the top place on my films of the year. So yeah, but you, you
3: haven't go. seen Bronies yet, so
1: I haven't seen Brad <laughs> And we have got awards season coming up and everything. There's a load more films I'm yeah. excited for. But yeah, really, really enjoyed this. If you get a chance at And if you live in one of those places like Owen, where good films generally don't get shown in the local cinemas and things like that, and we'll probably have that discussion later on, I believe it's actually on Blinkbox kind of... Um, as an early release, and I think it's also on the Curzon. So if you pay the same price as a cinema ticket, I think it's six ninety nine, for example, you can actually watch it at home if it's not playing near you. And I'd really recommend doing that. Hmm. Okay, that is what we've been watching. Coming up next, a very very quick triple bill uh, of our our top three best worst whatever. We've probably made up the rules a little bit as we go along. Movie recasting decisions. <laughs> Okay then, triple bill. So in honor of Steve's first ever missed proper podcast, uh which he never used to shut up about. And now that record's gone. Bad luck, Steve. Uh this is <laughs> the only reason I kind of lay in wait to just jump in for a moment when he might when he was at his weakest at his <laughs> Villa. Um and so the fact that he has been replaced by me for one episode, we're very, very quickly going to choose our three movie recasts. They might be the best, they might be the worst. Uh, we're trying where we can not to include remakes or reboots. Uh, we'll we'll see what uh, what happens there. So I'll, I'll start off then. Um, my first one is going to be Billy D. Williams from Tim Burton's Batman film, who was then replaced by Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent. Now apparently Billy D. Williams took the role. Um, in the first Batman film, quite a small role in that first Batman film because he understood the character's eventual journey to becoming Two Face, and he was promised that role as part of a Burton trilogy. However, the, when the series decided to go in a less dark direction, got rid of uh, Burton, brought in Schumacher, Tommy Lee Jones was instead hired to basically produce a, a Primark Jack Nicholson uh, as, the, <laughs> as the as the as the Joker, but as Two Face, uh, and I think this is a real shame because. This was nearly 20 years before Samuel L. Jackson became a brilliant example of how you can change the colour of a character from its source material, and guess what stupid, angry internet nerds? It doesn't matter. I'm not saying everyone who's a nerd or on the internet. I'm the angry ones specifically who complain about stupid things like that. Um, So yeah, that's my first... I think that that was a bad recasting. And also, speaking of racism, do you know what... (laughs) I was researching this, and if you go into Google and you start typing Billy D. Williams... Do you know what the first Google autocomplete is?
3: Billy D. D. Williams rocks. It with
1: should two be. X's. It? it should be. No, it's <laughs> Billy D. Williams. Carl Weathers. That is the first autocomplete <laughs> because people cannot tell them apart. Right? Google is massively racist. Um, so yes, yeah, those those of you out of compute, check that now. Uh, unless it's because Google is so kind of in tune to me, and it realises I'm racist, and it thought that was going to be my first uh, thing. Um, The second choice I've got then is uh, the role of Clary Starling, Jodie Foster replaced by Julianne Moore. Normally I'm a bigger fan of Julianne Moore than I am of Jodie Foster. I I generally think she chooses better and more interesting films on the whole. I I like her films on on the whole more, um, and I think she's a more likeable screen presence, but I do think Foster absolutely nailed the role of Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs, and her chemistry in that film with Anthony Hopkins, which is another great example of recasting from, uh, Brian Cox to, uh, to Anthony Hopkins in, from Red Dragon, wasn't it? No, that wasn't the original one, was it? No, it's
3: Manhunter. Red Dragon was the
1: remake of Manhunter, that's it, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the book's
3: called Red Dragon Confusingly. That's
1: enough. it, yeah, and that's Rafe, is that Ray Fiennes as Hannibal Lecter? Uh, no, um,
2: Hannibal, Mads what, the only Hannibal Lecter for me, no, Oh, of course, yeah, yeah you've got No,
3: Matthews they've re well. no, all of them have been remade with Hopkins now as, as Hannibal Lecter.
1: Oh, have that? Oh, right, okay, oh, yeah, I got confused, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Clary, yeah. I, the, the chemistry between um, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins just isn't there in Hannibal, in my opinion. I think Hannibal's quite a poor film in that sense. Um, it's quite a and poor film finally, in every sense. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it has got footage of Julian Joachim, uh, playing in a football match in the background while Rayleigh Otter is being tortured. Which I, that, that took my mind off things. Seeing Julian Joachim, <laughs> former Leicester City legend, uh, playing for Aston Villa. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, and then my final choice is Crispin Glover, replaced by archive footage of Crispin Glover and standing Jeremy Weissman wearing prosthetics as George McFly in Back to the Future 2. I could have done the whole triple bill with Back to the Future recast. Obviously, Elizabeth Shue came in during Back to the Future 2, and uh, Michael J. Fox replaced Eric Stoltz quite famously as Marty uh, after filming had started. And as Carol pointed out to me, I think before before we start this podcast, you can see bits of Eric Stoltz in the first film as well. Um, But this is the weirdest one and, and had the biggest impact on Hollywood. Apparently, Glover refused to return for the sequel, after only being offered half what of the other returning actors were, although he then later said that he disagreed with the morals the film was pushing, which I find a bit weird because it seems quite wholesome to me, you know, about, uh, you know, being the best person you can be and standing up to bullies and things like that. I don't know. But this didn't stop Robert Zemeckis and Glover appeared credited as George McFly in footage from Back to the Future spliced in with shots of Weissman wearing prosthetics appearing in the background or being shot upside down to give the impression yeah. that it was Glover.
3: <laughs> and when I was a kid, I never, ever noticed I never that noticed it was either. not the same person.
1: In fact, I didn't even notice it was a different actress playing Marty's girlfriend either, but that, uh, you know, I'm not cut <laughs> out to be a police officer. And what's really interesting about that one is they had to reshoot the end of um Back to the Future, the first film, uh, shot for shot, in the for second the one, the second there's one. the um, for the beginning of two. And there's yeah. the pause when Marty asks him if he's OK in the future. And in the second one, um, Christopher Lloyd puts in a pause before saying that he's OK, which wasn't there in the first one. It kind of changes when you know the story, changes that whole dynamic, which mm. I find quite interesting. But Glover sued the studio. He won. And there is now an agreement with the Screen Actors Guild specifically banning shit like this happening basically so no one can get away with that anymore well that's mine i'm going to go to you owen
2: (laughs) okay i don't know how to follow that because that was quite interesting um i suppose okay the first one well i think um the django unchained recast is quite famous isn't it you know how django was meant for will smith and um he turned it down and ended up with jamie fox i think people know that one already um but there's a couple of other tarantino recasts that i don't think are quite as well known um although I'm probably wrong. I think we may have talked about one or two of them on, on the podcast in, previously anyway. But um in Inglorious Bastards, a bit of trivia I learnt today. Um the Bear Jew, the character the Bear Jew was apparently intended to be played by Adam Sandler. I didn't wow. know that. <laughs> yeah. Certainly changes the, the character, doesn't it? Um before Eli Roth got the role instead. Um That actually sounds like
1: a, an Adam Sandler film that um O. Uh, the bear Jew when he's coming up with the Adam Sandler films Adam Sandler is a bear and a Jew
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where it came yeah. from who knows <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, yeah I know I can't imagine it really but um, I suppose the most si- or the more significant recast from Inglorious Bastards my official first choice first choice isn't Adam Sandler um, being replaced by Elon My first choice, um, is the role of the, uh, nasty Nazi. Um, I'm coining that phrase Colonel Hans Lander, who is played to an Academy Award winning standard by Christoph Alts. Um, although it was a character, I mean, it's a character Quinton Tarantino has gone on record saying it's the greatest character he's ever created. But apparently, it was a, a, another one that was written for a specific actor, and it was meant to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And it was kind of a last minute change of heart that Tarantino had, where he thought, Oh actually I want a German actor to play this character instead. Um and then he ended up picking an Austrian actor, but there you go. All the same um, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, <it's laughs> European, that's sort all of region, that's fine. Um you know, I'm I'm sure DiCaprio would have been great though, as he's in most mm. films. I know he did show in Django that, that he can play the kind of despicable bastard character yeah. really well. Um, but it's hard to imagine anybody else I know. Playing and and himself, look at it?
1: Christoph Waltz's career as well. Yeah. 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 I know, yeah. 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 I know he was sense, respected kind of in, in German television, uh, and the, the German film industry and, yeah, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, you can't imagine just that he was cat- broken through cat- in that way without that role. That's yeah. Right. Now
3: he's been, been in Muppets cat- Most Wanted <laughs> and everything. Exactly.
2: Christoph <laughs> Waltz is performing a once. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was my first choice. My second choice, um, not so much a cast in... Uh, well, it isn't a recast, uh, recast of a character. Uh, more of a forced recast of a director. Uh, also happens to be one of the absolute worst films in existence. Um, so I'm talking about a change of director in the Japanese sequel, Battle Royale 2, Requiem. Um, the original director... This is going to sound really harsh. The original director, Kinji Fukusaki... Or Fukusaku, sorry... Um, who directed the first film, First Battle Royale? He died, uh, suddenly, Ooh. well, of prostate cancer, uh, after shooting just one scene, um, mm-hmm. of Battle Royale 2. Him. No. So who, who would be the ideal replacement at sh- such a short notice uh, to take over? T- uh, Takeshi Kitano, because he was in the first film, and that, that would have been awesome. That would have been, that would, I, no, I don't say that, because that's made me feel really bad <laughs> now, because this, he didn't take over. It was in fact his, Son, um, okay. Kenta Fukusaku, who was also the screenwriter. Okay. Um. So you know, kind of. Yeah, well, yeah. he obviously must know his what his dad's vision was. He must. He must know what the films are about. He wrote the screenplays. Um. But it, in fact, Battle Royale Two is one of the most incompetent pieces of shit I've ever had the misfortune of watching. <laughs> So I've always I'll stayed away break.
1: from it. I've always stayed away from it because no, yeah, I've too. never heard a good word about it, and I love the first Nothing film. good about yeah.
2: it. Yeah, the first is brilliant. The first really is brilliant, but the, the sequel, my god! I mean, I can't emphasize how bad it, uh, bad it is. Really, it is just terrible. There's, it's utterly ridiculous. You know, it's got these really like immature philosophical debates on war that are in the film with the kids in the, in it. and you just like they're talking utter bollocks it doesn't even make sense it's mind-numbingly tedious dialogue that goes in there and it's just so boring um at one point you've got the big bad boss who's there and he says something like um you know their deaths are not entertaining enough and i couldn't help agree because it's just it's really boring <laughs> There's not enough death in it, it's terrible. And, you know, it's like an even more boring version of Hunger Games, but with even worse politics. You know, just absolutely watered down bollocks. Um, You know, I don't think Kento Fukusaka even knew what the point of the film he was making was supposed to be. It's really muddled, and it's odd. He wrote the first film. It can't all have been his dad's idea. I'm starting to think it was nepotism that got him involved in this in the first place. Uh, bring but, your yeah, kid it's to
1: just... work. At, uh, bring your kid to work day. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it must have been. Yeah, put him. He's not even he got a job yet. He's just come out of school to put his name on the credits, and then, oops, he's popped his clogs. So we'll give the job to his son. And it's just, didn't he also?
3: No, sorry, isn't there a battle royale uh, book though?
2: They're based on books. Um, Are they both I'm based on sure. books,
3: or just the first yeah. one?
2: No, oh, I think okay. they're both. Based on them, like, I think Battle Royale was a, like a manga series. Yeah. And then th- this adapts part of those stories. Or I don't know how faithfully it's actually meant to adapt those stories. Um, I thought
3: maybe that's where he got all the good ideas from.
2: Possibly. If yeah, it was just maybe. The first one. I haven't read them, but um, if they're as bad as Battle Royale 2, the film, then I'm not going anywhere near them. But there we go. Uh, anyway, so my <laughs> final choice then. Um, I think we can all agree was just a stroke of genius to to cast it, Uh, it was recasting Hulk in Avengers Assemble. And there's nothing wrong with Ed Norton as Bruce Banner in the previous movie, in The Incredible Hulk. Um, I mean, the film's not without its faults, Mm. but Ed Norton wasn't one of the worst things about it. He was was one of the best things about it. Exactly. Um, But putting Mark Ruffalo in the role, I mean, it it is a stroke of genius. He completely kind of transformed the character. Um, suddenly, the, the, you could imagine the banter between Bruce Banner and the rest of the the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you're still trying to pick him out as the the character from the original Hulk film or the Incredible Hulk film, it just didn't really work. So, I think Mark Ruffalo, brilliant piece of casting. Yeah, um, one I'll of those recasting know. decisions that is just it was worth worth making. And I know there were, you know. Arguments with Ed Norton about his role and how much money he was supposed to be getting, and all kinds of problems he caused on set, and all that kind of bollocks. That you, you know, you never know how much of that is true and how much of it is no. made up, anyway. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, apparently Marvel
1: notoriously but... tight with their salaries, aren't they? Until they absolutely yes. have to pay out, kind of Robert Downey yeah. Jr. style. <laughs> so, um... Exactly. Well, that, I, I think that,
3: that was just negotiated because yeah, he was the paid f- less
1: he was the than, uh, one. yeah, that's it. Mm. Okay, no, thank you, Anne. Okay, Carol, what are your three then?
3: Well, James, I know how you were a bit upset that there was no death in the news this week.
1: So yeah, I, I was of death. Bring...
3: <laughs> yeah, massive fan it's of death. Got it. So yeah. uh, I've decided to bring bring the death to the triple bill this week, oh, and uh I, I hope I hope that's going to make up for it somehow for you. And I've decided to do um uh roles that had to be recast because of untimely deaths. So. We'll start off with not not my favourite, but something that apparently not a lot of people know, and in fact I wasn't very aware of this until quite recently, was that um, Shrek was originally voiced by Chris Farley, uh the rotund, fat, funny man who. Uh, who died <laughs> you can't go rotund and then man. fat. I d- I didn't <laughs> the mean to. <rotund>, <laughs> <funny man. laughs> me I was I was trying to, trying to get to to the word funny. Diplomatic. And it didn't quite get there. Anyway, the Rotund Funny Man. We'll fix it in the mix. Um yeah. And he had, um, who died, I, I can't remember when he died. I think it was 1999, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Um, Certainly Seems around right. that time. Uh But he'd actually, he was meant to be Shrek, and he'd actually recorded 80 to 90% of his uh, lines before he died, but obviously didn't quite get there, which is, I think, a situation that, The producer of one of Robin Williams' last films is in it at the moment. I think Mm. he'd done a a similar amount. I think he's playing a talking dog. uh, And and he'd done a similar amount of lines for for that. But yeah, and then obviously the the role had to be recast. Um, Chris Farley wasn't doing a Scottish accent for Shrek. So we might have been spared Mike Myers' terrible accent. Had it not he here. loves that Scottish accent. I'm yeah. to... He
1: am loves... in you. Um, in So I Married an Axe Murderer, he plays like his Scottish family in that or something oh, as well, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. It's like one of those things that no one will say no to him. And I forget Mike, that's not good.
0: <laughs>
1: At least in in the Austin Powers films yeah. yeah. as well, yeah. is not he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Mike.
3: That's probably why we don't see him in a lot of stuff anymore, yeah. to be honest. Um. So the second one uh, that I'm going for, which personally I don't think it was for the better, but hey ho, uh was uh, Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series. Obviously the first three he's played by Richard Harris and then Richard Harris being quite old and, and having had a hell of a life, frankly, oh, uh yeah. died. And uh yeah you know, how how can it be how can it be that, you know, being a Hellraiser, you know, you've got Richard Harris, he lived until he was in his seventies. Peter O'Toole was quite old as well you know i, I yeah. think i secretly think it's quite good for you but anyway i, I think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i digress uh so in the five films after that he was replaced by michael gambon which i personally didn't think worked too well I'd, i thought that richard harris was a much better dumbledore than, than michael gambon it's that bit in the fourth film where he starts shaking harry by the shoulders and you're like no that's that that's a bit weird sorry Stop that, Dumbledore, please. And uh, it's just—it was very weird. Um, but i am a think... big
1: Michael Gambon fan, but I've—I've I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, so I, I've, yeah, that—that's completely passed me by. But, but, yeah. but it's at the, the top same top top time, what I don't know which ones. No one, oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah, it, it's Richard <laughs> Harris, and you can't. Yeah, it's difficult recasting Richard Harris. Full stop, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's just yeah. It was obviously quite unfortunate, but he is such a massive part; you couldn't mm. just write him out. Yeah. Um. So you can totally understand why they did it, but he just doesn't. He just doesn't seem to fit the Dumbledore of the books for me. Um. Mm. I, I, a lot of people love him, obviously, and and I think he kind of grew into it. But um. Yeah, definitely in the in the first film he did it. There were a couple of jarring moments, um, where you think that Richard Harris wouldn't have played it that way, mm. but there we go um and the last one uh is one that i did actually i do actually think probably worked for the better um john belushi as we all know was um like a comedy sidekick of dan Aykroyd, and made the the blues brothers together and that's a fantastic film and then unfortunately he he is probably in like the anti-richard harrison that he is a Pretty bad advert for living living a fast life, frankly. Because yeah, do <laughs> I you know don't what? think
1: booze he's... is fine. It's when you start, <laughs> it's when you start putting and stuff. Put, yeah. putting <laughs>
3: everything else in there as well. That's when it starts to go horribly wrong. So he passed away, I think 1982, and um he was meant to be playing uh, in a, a role in the film that Dan Aykroyd was writing at that point called Ghostbusters. He was meant to be playing Peter Venkman, and obviously then he died, and they had to get Bill Murray in instead. Uh, and John Belushi became, uh, what is now known as Slimer, funnily enough. That's a fun fact for you there. That's, that's why he eats so much food. He's based on John Belushi. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that one works quite well, personally. I can't really see John Belushi in that. I, I, I guess I can, but. Well, I, I can't I see that... anyone
1: but Bill Murray doing it. That's no, the whole thing, isn't possible. it? It's one of those where he just made that his own. Yeah.
3: yeah absolutely. But yeah, he, um, they, they wrote John Belushi into the, into the script instead as a ghost who constantly eats. Oh, oh that's,
1: that's so that was nice. nice.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Owen, oh, did we have any from uh, Twitter? And has anyone got Steve's? I can't remember what Steve's were now. I'm going to have a quick look for them now. Owen, oh, you, you have a look for Steve's and I'll you talk about Twitter. Twitter. One,
2: yeah. I'll do the Twitter in. Um, at New Rules New Life has tweeted it. Um, first thing he said, when I asked for, for people's suggestions of recast, movie recasts, he said, Is that like Vigo Mortensen? Replacing Stuart Townsend in Lord of the Rings. That's interesting. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, A couple other people. uh, Well, one of the persons suggested that uh, uh, Martin Cross at NBC UK um, also suggested Viggo Mortensen. Also said Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones instead of Tom Selleck, Mm. which would have been interesting as well. And also one of these roles you can't imagine anybody else. Yeah, I also. No, I can totally imagine Tom Selleck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> With the moustache, yeah, yep, um, yeah. I, I had Harrison Ford in mind, but um, having replaced uh, Alec Baldwin as um, of the, oh the god, I can't remember Tom Clancy character. What's his name? Jack Green Ryan. Present day. Jack Ryan. Thank you. Oh, no, yeah. Which then became um, oh god, Affleck in terrible, terrible uh, sum of all fears. Uh, so that was mm. there was a load of recasting in that one. Mm. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah I have got Chris these, Pine,
2: by the way. I think. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. was a, um, but yeah keep going keep going Owen. yeah we, well we had a couple more we had uh, Shorty also suggested Michael J Fox um, yeah. in Back to the Future uh, and Matt Lambourne, um frequent listener sometimes appearing on the podcast himself yeah. also tweeted us he said how uh, about Kevin Peter Hall replacing Jean-Claude Van Damme in Predator which is a really oh, good yeah. shout because Van Damme was originally the Predator in Predator until he was too much of an arsehole and they kicked him out. Really? Be are you sure it's not just because well, well, he. He <laughs> would
3: have yeah, won the film. Yeah, they changed the whole character
2: to them. Oh. Pardon?
3: He would have won the film if he was Predator. So they were like, "Well, are we talking about now? Yeah, really he would have outshined them all. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so Kevin Peter Hall played the Predator, who also plays the pilot in that film. He pilot's the helicopter as well. So there you go, he gets two roles. Um, and it, Matt also suggested Ernie Hudson for Eddie Murphy in Ghostbusters.
3: Yeah, I knew about that one. I think Eddie Murphy just, I think it was written for him, but he turned it down. I don't think he was ever actually yeah. cast.
1: I, I, Recast, I, yeah. I did read some really interesting ones. Like I saw um, Sylvester Stallone as Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop, which is just the most <laughs> bizarre thing. I
3: think I read that one earlier as well. <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> Very Steve's odd. Were, Steve had one bad and two good ones. I'm not sure I agree with him here. His bad one is Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi, which I th- think I, is a bit harsh yeah. because I think I think Ewan McGregor does a good young Alec Guinness in those uh, films.
3: And let's be yep. honest,
1: the source material, the script he's working with is hardly doing him any favours. Yeah,
3: so that, they're that's They're not terrible because of him.
1: Yeah, I, I he he also went for Mark Ruffalo as uh, Bruce Banner, and he went for Heath Ledger as the Joker. And I did say no reboot, Steve. I, you know exactly <laughs> what I said, Steve. And I, I I do think the Nolan Batman films are a reboot on the kind of the previous era films. But oh, I'll let you have it because Heath Ledger's Joker is better than Jack Nicholson's Joker in my opinion. But hipster alert! I think Mark Hamill's Joker is the best of all. That's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: terrifying. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: yeah he's absolutely well, that's,
3: horrifying.
1: That's a triple build that took a little bit longer than we thought, but never mind. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, after that, we got new releases. Before I go to sleep, and um, what was the other one? The guest. There we go. Coming up after the break. so this week's new releases, a couple of new releases. First up is Before I Go to Sleep, written and directed by Rowan Joffe, uh, or Joffe, or, or what are we saying now? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but jo- yeah, based on the best-selling novel by S.J. Watson, it stars Nicole Kidman as a 40-year-old amnesiac who wakes up every day having forgotten everything from the day before. Her husband, played by Colin Firth, appears to be hiding things from her, while her doctor, played by Mark Strong, is trying to treat her behind her husband's back by encouraging her to record her memories onto a digital camera. Mm, this isn't just a memento rip-off. This is an MNS memento rip-off. Here's a clip.
0: <laughs> you had an accident. It was a bad accident. You had head injuries.
1: And you have problems remembering things.
0: What things? What?
1: Everything. You store up information for a day. When you wake up in the morning, it's all gone. You're back to your early 20s. There we go that was Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman in before I go to
2: sleep Owen you start us off what did you think uh, I don't really know how to start us off I mean I've... <sighs> was it a good film I don't I don't really know it's hard to say it was okay I didn't have any major film, problems that? yeah I, there was nothing really like particularly bad about it it just wasn't it wasn't Memento that was mm. the problem I think it, it has a very similar premise um, and it kind that means automatically because it's like very close to being like Memento story. Um, I'm automatically in my mind comparing it and I tried to be objective, mm. um, but I struggled. I just thought mm, it's, it's
1: not, it hasn't good. got the inventiveness. Obviously, Memento was told, the other thing about Memento the... is it's told in reverse order. Whereas this yeah, is. Yeah, the completely sort of non-linear this story. is quite linear. Obviously, it, it does the whole immediate res bit where it starts in the middle and then you get back to where mm. it started. But apart from that, it's actually quite linear in that case. I, I, I think for the positives for me, it, it did build up tension very well. I think for the first hour particularly. Um, kept the viewer guessing and not not in that frustrating a way. There was some obvious Hitchcock, Hitchcock influences. Um, also reminded me a bit of Rosemary's Baby and that it, it places you in the mind of a potentially unreliable witness, uh, unreliable victim, yeah. that kind of thing. And I do think all three leads do pretty well with the material they're given. No one's putting in a bad performance here. I don't know, but no. that sums up the film for me. In the positives notes that I've written... <laughs> is no one puts in a bad performance kind of thing. One of those types of... What did you think, Carol?
3: Well, I thought... I quite enjoyed it, actually. I, I thought it was quite good. I, I had no idea of the, um, of, the, of the premise of the film mm. other than seeing the trailer before I went in. I haven't read the book. Uh, the book is now 99p on Kindle Store, so no, I have okay. actually got the book to read. Um, but to be honest, I didn't really... I, I kind of forgot about Memento, pun not intended, uh, before I went in, so I wasn't <laughs> deliberately comparing it to Memento, which is probably done myself a huge favour there um, yeah. but I thought it was quite good mm. I, I thought that everyone I thought the performances were good mm. Um I think that Mark Strong is just, he's fantastic. I'll watch him in anything. Yeah, I will watch oh, I that Jaguar advert yeah. over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's he's currently playing, obviously in the advert, he's playing kind of the, the British bad guy. In this, you still don't know, I mean he is typically a bad guy obviously, mm. but you still don't know really whether he is no. bad or not. He, he's very kind of ambiguous. And, the film and, does,
1: I think the film does a good job of masking though, uh, Those elements it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you guessing. It's not too repetitive. There are you know repetitive bits, but I think it handles that quite well. Like I said, for the first hour, for the first hour and a bit, I, I I was thinking I'm really really enjoying this. This is a good solid thriller of the type of thriller that I like that they used to make a lot in the 80s and 90s and don't seem to really really make much anymore. For me, the problem is once. Once it starts to unravel, once you start to actually get the truth behind what's happening, it gets a bit OTT, it gets a little bit hammy. Um, and that bit is also quite drawn out as well. I was watching it thinking, yeah. do you know what? Hitch would have found a way to end this five minutes after that reveal. That That's what he yeah. did. Because he knows that once that reveal's there, you've lost all your power as a filmmaker. You need to pretty much wrap that up. You build up to the reveal and then end the film. But this had the reveal and then like 20 25 minutes half an hour i don't know of yeah. an extended kind of almost an epilogue um which i think but let the, it
2: down the the whole film though is a series of reveals mm. because you you basically the main character knows nothing about herself yeah. and her story so everything is revealed every 5 minutes no, that's true. so i don't know whether it was just kind of like i mean it wasn't a watered down reveal um that, kept, that comes sort of three quarters of the way through But there's um there's lots and lots of twists And I think, like you say, it plays up to the fact that it's like an 80s or 90s thriller It has lots of these yeah. twists But for me, I didn't think it was thrilling enough I think a lot of the, the big reveals or the thrills came from one character talking to another And it was just like yeah. conversational twists And I thought, well, nothing's actually happened yeah. You've just said something's happened um, but also, it was like a drama. I thought it was a bit too lightweight for a drama as well to be taken seriously because it is just. I mean, it is utterly ridiculous. I mean, you've got to suspend your disbelief going Hugely. in, know exactly what you're going yeah. in to see. Um, in terms of, it's none of this. I mean, it's going to take itself very seriously, but there's nothing here that's to be let's taken be seriously. Up, one of the reveals that
1: it kind of hinges on is completely kind of ridiculous and actually out of a out of uh, the out of character uh, essentially you know the fact that you yeah, know there's something that all of a sudden they realize yeah, it just seems a little bit mm, easy um <laughs> yeah yeah
2: that that's all us but it was a bit I, of fun. I don't think it was obvious I don't think it was obvious
1: no no, no it like... wasn't obvious I don't think it was obvious to the viewer but knowing that character and the way that character behaves it felt a little bit like well yeah surely they would have picked up on you know these clues beforehand but, um, exactly. but if, that if said,
3: it's a bit I think you're talking about, yeah. the clues don't actually appear until that bit, and then they disappear again.
1: Yeah, possibly, mm. we might have to talk about this off air. Actually, <laughs> just, just <clear> that <laughs> up. I wouldn't want to ruin. It. Do you know what? It's the kind of thing. No. It's no. the kind of film that if you caught it on TV one night, you'd watch it and go, "That wasn't a waste of my time. That was quite fun." Um, yeah. But it's certainly not. It, 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 it. And I think Owen, in his review on the site,
2: basically summed it up by saying, "Yeah, ironically enough." it's not very memorable. <laughs> yeah. A bit like rain on your red on your wedding day or a free ride when you've Traffic paid. jam when you're already yeah, you're late. you've forgotten yeah. most of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Forgotten most of it by the time you get up next day. So yeah, that's
1: out <laughs> in cinemas already as is our next film The Guest directed by Adam Wingard uh, and written by Simon Barrett who both created last year's Invasion Horror. Um a decent film, I thought. You're next. A bit flawed, but I quite enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of people... um, This stars a load of people I've not seen before, I'll be honest. Except one guy who was in later seasons of ER. And I've not seen The Wire. Apparently a guy from The Wire is in it as well. But the star yes, is, Dan, is. Stevens, uh, uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens <laughs> from Downton Abbey. Never seen Downton Abbey. He plays David, a US military veteran who pays a visit to the Pattersons to pass on a message from their son who died in action. They invite him to stay for a few days and bad things start happening in their small town. Is David really what he seems? Here's a clip.
0: You guys should get out of here. Call the police and tell them the truth. Gang of high school kids came in here and demanded you serve them drinks. You tried to ID them, but uh, they threatened to cause trouble. There was a fight. You didn't really get a good look at the other guys. Otherwise, I imagine you and this place could get into trouble for serving minors. I mean, this is what happens. Here. For the damages.
1: So that was Dan Stevens as the mysterious uh, and, and eponymous, the guest. Um, Carol, uh, we, me and you have seen this. Owen's not seen this. I know he's quite disappointed in Cineworld's booking policy for films. Again. Uh, yes. As ever. Um, so, Kat, what did you think about this film?
3: Well, I haven't seen uh, Your Next, the previous film what? by this uh, by this director, so I didn't really know what to expect going in. I've seen a couple of really good reviews and Basically, when I go to the cinema, I like to get two films in to feel like I've had my money's worth and my time's (laughs) worth. It takes me quite a while to get there. So, and, and to be perfectly honest, these were the two that, before I go to sleep and the guests were the two that fitted together the best in the, in the itinerary. So, so I decided to make the guests my second one. And I was just really pleasantly surprised, actually. I thought it was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. It's stupidly hammy. It's ridiculous. Like it, but it knows it's ridiculous. Um, it's just, It, yeah, just, it it gets more ludicrous as it goes on. And it kind of, it's self-aware all the way through. And then just gets this amazingly stupid climax. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is just, which is just fantastic. But also, you know, everyone knows that it's stupid, but everyone's just having a fantastic time, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think that actually I was was amazed at how many people were in the cinema with me. It It was well over half full. And, uh, yeah, everyone else just seemed to really love it.
1: I saw it. I saw it in one of those rare occasions where you're the only one in the cinema. That was amazing. Oh I saw like a half eleven showing, and uh yeah, I was the only one there, which made it really weird because I I laughed out loud to certain bits in it, and then realised I'm the only one in here, but I'm laughing out loud. And it was <laughs> at, at times really, really funny. Yeah, quite dry and dark, but genuinely really, really funny. And, and like you, Carol, what I really liked about the film was that it did revel in its horror thriller b-movie roots it, it knew where it came from and it wasn't ashamed of it because i read a review recently which described it as a trashy stoker uh and to be honest i thought stoker was pretty trashy to be honest <laughs> um but stoker pretended not to be trashy it, it, it kind of aspired to be this high art version of this form of cinema but this didn't this was just no it, it had no illusions it set out purely to entertain and it it really delivers on that part. it's Kind of part *Fright Night*, part *Dead Man's Shoes*, part *Cabin in the Woods*. Um, certainly, with regards to a you know tonal shift during the course of the film, there there is a tonal shift about halfway through, which feels really odd. But somehow it all pulls it together at the end, and you'll only understand that if you've seen it. Um, but there was a, the film went in a direction I thought, no, this isn't going to work. I'm not happy you've gone in this direction. But somehow it pulled it all together because it just got more ridiculous it yeah there were flashes of the scream franchise in there as well um I, I, no i really really enjoyed it as you mentioned on the football 365 from carol great soundtrack kind of again oh, i loved it one of those one of those soundtracks which <laughs> comes from the 80s just really it know, was straight of out of the first terminator and,
3: wasn't it all the Yeah, synths. it
1: really was Loads of, it, it, you know those those soundtracks that always remind me of Jez and Superhands from Peep Show. Yeah, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the longer the note, the more dread. It was, <laughs> um, the title card that just flashed up, the guest felt like it could have been from a seventies horror film. Just like, it, lo, you could see it as being quite derivative. There's there's nothing hugely original going on here, but it is a lovingly reconstructed. Load of tropes and uh, conventions from horror. I can, I despite the fact that it's not a horror film, I can see why it played at Fright Fest because it it definitely plays with a lot of those tropes, uh, a lot of those conventions, and it's it's you can see it being uh, appreciated by the same audience.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I think actually I think it was quite brave. In, I don't want to give it away anything away yeah. in the film at all, but I think it was quite brave with with some of the decisions towards the end definitely right. in the last kind of 15 minutes yes i, I really really wasn't expecting it shocked me a what few happened times.
1: yeah it shocked me yeah. a few times uh and and finally just uh, I've, I've never seen dan evans before. apparently he was in the um the wikileaks film with benedict cumberbatch but
3: no one saw
1: happened. that so yeah well, well we did and it was <laughs> poor um or maybe it was just me i can't remember it was poor um but I, I will say he completely nailed the part of the mysterious and charming entity. Yeah, it's he has a lot of fun in this role. And I don't know if it's just his accent, but you kind of remind I could see a young Matthew McConaughey playing this role and uh he he had that he had that that presence about it. It really really I I will say Please, please go and see it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I saw Your Next last year, and I, I quite enjoyed it. That was another one of those, up until the kind of 50-minute hour mark. I was really enjoying it, and I thought, oh, no, you've, you've made a mistake moving to this kind of way you've gone. This, this is like Adam Wingard learnt a lot from that first film, and he's put that to good use. It's, it's a cracking little film really really enjoyable and apparently the soundtrack is out available next week i tried to buy the soundtrack tonight it's not out until the 15th of september but there's a great kind of 80s industrial synth soundtrack to it as as well as the brilliant creepy soundtrack uh the the score there's a great soundtrack as well with kind of sisters of mercy that kind of thing as well which i'm clearly going to buy as soon as i can so uh (laughs) yeah really really enjoyed the guest that's also out in cinemas at the moment um Okay then, fine, let's wrap up there. Moving on to recommendations. And, uh, Carol, what's your recommendation for this week?
3: Well, I know that people have recommended this film before, but I'm just gonna keep recommending it until everyone sees it. Uh, because on Friday night, um, on channel 4 at 10 to midnight, is, uh, The Raid, The Raid 1, uh, not, it's slight, in my opinion, slightly obese, neighbour, The raid two, I I wasn't so keen on the raid two. I've got
1: the raid two on Blu-ray. I've not watched it yet, but I I, I'd be I want to watch them back to back basically because I never did that in
2: cinema. That's
3: how I did, and I think that's what let me down slightly uh, because I did. I think
2: I enjoyed the second one more actually. I think I don't know the second one just had more a lot more to it. Whereas the first one was really refined and great for it. I don't know. But, but I don't. For
1: me, do you know what? It's like a great beer or a great whiskey. Sometimes you're in the mood for one or the other. Me, yeah, usually yeah, it's both definitely. when I'm recording this podcast. But, um, <laughs> um but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them both again, to be honest. Cause they're no, such I like,
3: fun. I like the first one because it's just, it's lean. You know, it's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. There's about, I don't, Ten lines of dialogue in the whole thing. Uh Not that not that normally puts me off a film, not of dialogue, but it's just it's fantastic, and the and the martial arts sequences are just amazing.
1: And you are anyone who likes mm. action films and hasn't seen that just needs to remedy that straight away, don't they?
3: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Owen, uh what's your recommendation for this week then?
3: Um, well, I'm
2: picking a film. It kind of goes two ways actually, because it's in the cinemas at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually being screened this week in selected places um, as a re-release. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it's also on uh movie Mubi, com. Um so you can sort of sign up for a free trial there and and watch it online if you want to or you can go to the cinema. M, Fritz Lang's film um from 1931. German film about a sort of serial killer uh, or child killer. Um played by Peter Law, Peter Laurie, I don't really know who Laura, to say his name. Yeah. I guess. Laura, no, that standard. guy. Standard standard for this podcast yeah, of course. It's a foreign name. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, typical... No, anyway, I'm not going there. So, um, but it's a brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant. I think when the first time I saw it was shortly after I'd seen Metropolis for the first time, which is also by Fritz Lang, which I enjoyed, but M was just topped it, it by Yeah, well.
1: it's Lang's favourite. It was Lang's favourite film and It was his first talkie as well. Um, and... Yeah. I was I, I watched this on Movie last night. I've got the it's I've got the PlayStation Three app uh, for Movie, so I was able to watch it. Watch this HDI restoration, and it looks fantastic. And the film it's the first time I've seen it in about a decade, and the film hasn't lost any of yeah. its power. Uh, it's incredibly yeah. chilling, and I I love the kind of way it is looking at every aspect in culture of the crime and you've got people talking about taking fingerprints i didn't realize they were really doing that much back there yeah you've got that side of it you've got the fact that the criminals realize this investigation is impinging on their livelihoods so they decide to you know you've got vigilante mobs and things it's actually quite ahead of its time as well Uh, yeah brilliant brilliant film um so no, great recommendation. But there's
2: about four different versions of it. I'm mm-hmm. not sure which one is being shown. The one on movie
1: is the Mubi longest the and most complete version. It's the 111 right, okay. minute version of the film. Um, so yeah, yeah it is it is the most complete version you'll get and it's been restored in HD. So I definitely, if you can't find a cinema showing it, sign up to movie for free for a month uh, and try it. I think it's yeah, only $3.99 a month after that. Really, really great service. Um, and my recommendation, I've been tipped off that... A film I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Rust and Bone, my favourite film of 2012. The film about, um, a paraplegic dolphin trainer and a bare knuckle boxer and the love that dare not speak its name between them. It's, it's, it's an utterly, if you try and pitch it, it's a ridiculous film, but actually <laughs> it's a really beautifully shot, wonderfully acted and moving, uh, French film starring Marion Cotillard, uh, Matthias Schernartz and, um, soundtracked by the Katy Perry song Firework, uh, so if that doesn't get you wanting to watch it, I don't know what will, it's on film for on Sunday night I can't remember the time exactly, you can look it up, um, that's yeah. it for this week, that's it for my very very short and special stint as the host of this podcast that I actually started 120 episodes ago, finally got to host the damn thing and I really enjoyed <laughs> it, I've loved being back uh, I'll try and stay away for a bit longer than two weeks next time though, I promise uh, while I'm here I do just want quickly want to plug another film related podcast that i'm involved with at the moment called the pitch where me and my friend nathan human uh decide to pitch imaginary films against each other and see which one's best um you can find that at Diamondandhuman.com. um and we've got another podcast there. it's my own band now i've I've split off i've got a solo project and everything (laughs) like that um you can also Paul mccartney with wings uh, yeah, Wings, the band The Beatles could have been. Another part yes. just shoved <laughs> in there. Yeah. <laughs> um... Obviously, you can also find everything that the brilliant team at Fail Critics have been doing. Ever since I stepped aside, we've had loads more views on the website. Um, ever since I was last on, we've blasted through 20,000 downloads of the podcast. So thank you to everyone who's ever downloaded the podcast and continues to listen to and support the podcast. But yeah, go to failcritics.com. Huge amount of uh, brilliant articles up there at the moment. Oh,
2: and quick choice of a few really, really good ones that people can read at the moment. <laughs> The London Film Festival preview yeah. is, is great. That's really good. We also got linked to by The Guardian recently. Did, I'm not sure how that happened. Steve! Yeah. In ab- his absence. Yes. He's now one of the most popular um, writers we've ever had on the on the <laughs> fair Critics because of this one article where he sort of slates Green Lantern. Maybe him and they...
1: Peter Bradshaw can go
2: off for drinks in Shoreditch and slag me off together <laughs> now. Maybe that's what exactly. could happen. Exactly. Um, um, but also, a couple of other quick things. We've also had the start of a new series this week which, where um, Callum's looking at the US box office report after a weekend. Just mm-hmm. has a look at what's been moving, what's gone down, that sort of thing. Um, and we've still got some more Fright Fest diary things that are going up from Mike Shawcross. So... Plenty yeah, to excellent. be, um, to begin. So on.
1: that's at failcritics.com. You can obviously find us at Facebook at, uh, facebook.com slash critics and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Uh, thanks for welcoming me back again, Owen and Carol. Um, hope you all have a good time wherever you are and listening and we'll have you back soon. Don't worry. Steve's back next week. Thank you. Good night.